Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Hi, this is Steve. If you imagine the perfect Thanksgiving, what do you see? A huge turkey with all the trimmings? Your traditional family football game? Or maybe just looking around at all the people you love and taking a moment to realize just how lucky you are? Well, one thing you probably don't imagine is bad motels, broken down trains, burnt out cars, and five days on the road with a person you absolutely can't stand. But that is exactly what John Hughes imagined when he conceived planes, trains, and automobiles. With fantastic performances from Steve Martin and the late, great John Candy, Planes, Trains, and Automobiles is a funny, frustrating, familiar, and in the end, deeply heartfelt movie. It's one of those films where you can't help loving the main characters, despite the fact that half the time you can't stand them. If you haven't seen it, we highly recommend visiting our website at cinephiles.net, that's C-I-N-E-F-I-L-E-S.net, where you can purchase Planes, Trains, and Automobiles, as well as every other movie we've ever reviewed. So, that's our favorite Thanksgiving movie, Planes, Trains, and Automobiles, this Friday on The Cinephiles. Why are you holding my hand? Where's your other hand? Between two pillows. Those aren't pillows. Hello and welcome once again to The Cinephiles, where each week we enter the world of a great film, we explore its themes, the history, the filmmaking, and the influence it has on us today. My name is Steve Morris. I'm a filmmaker and directing instructor on Los Angeles, California. Hello, everyone. Uh, my name is John Roca. I'm a voiceover artist, host, producer, writer, blah, 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 all those things here in Los Angeles, California. I'm just trying to pay my bills. That's what I'm telling you. That's what I do in my life. That's Look, those bills are coming. <laughs> yeah, every month. Um, and, uh, and I want to say to all of our cinephiles out there, Happy Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving. Yeah, I hope you are with your family. Yes. If you, that is what you enjoy doing. Right, right. Not or, everyone enjoys going home. Or perhaps away from your family, yes. if that is what you enjoy doing. <laughs> I hope you have a beautifully roasted turkey, if you like turkey. Right. And I hope you have some delicious Chinese food, if you want some. <laughs> um, and I hope you're not stuck traveling in Wichita. Oh, my so, God. Yeah. Oh, my God. I'm going to be traveling this Thanksgiving. Oh, good luck. One of the first. I think it's the first time I'm really going on a Thanksgiving trip. Wow. Going to be off in New York. Yeah. 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 I never leave for Thanksgiving. Yeah. Yeah. I only leave for Christmas. Um, right. Because you go back home to your family. Yeah. To Virginia. Yeah. I have not had Christmas at my house in four years. Wow. And I really want to. And it keeps not working out for various reasons. Oh, interesting. That are complicated. Yeah. <laughs> well, holidays. You know what? Holidays are tough. Yeah. And this movie we're going to do today is as tough a holiday. I don't know what the toughest holiday movie is. This is pretty tough. Planes, Trains, and Automobiles is up there. Yeah. It's a tough one. And what uh, what our characters go through is fairly extreme. <laughs> Christmas, yeah. va- Christmas Vacation, also very tough. Right. But Christmas Vacation is also outlandish, whereas yeah. Planes, Trains, and Automobiles, everything that happens in the movie, although it's an incredible amount of occurrences, 
is certainly realistic and possible. It, it's going to push that. Yeah, we're gonna, sure. We're, 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 we think, push it a little bit. Sure. But yes, I certainly most of it stays in the realism way. So, yeah. so do you remember how you first came to the film? Oh, yeah. I saw this in the theaters with my family, ironically enough. Yeah. So, <laughs> right. like, we definitely went to see it. And I was such a huge John Candy fan because Uncle Buck and um, uh, previous earlier films from the 80s. Is I Uncle think, Buck, I think Uncle, is Uncle, Uncle Buck, Buck after this one? I think it's after. Is it really? So. Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, maybe you're right. You I thought check, Uncle Buck check, was 85. Check. Yeah, I'm going to check real quick because I want to make sure. No, I thought, we, don't, we do not want to put out wrong false information on the cinephiles. And I don't want Scott Mance coming on here. You guys got it wrong. <laughs> Uncle Buck was 1954. No, uh... No, Uncle Buck is 1989. You're right. It feels like a 1985 film, so that's interesting. But I guess I'd seen John Candy in SCTV. I'd seen him because I was just discovering those kinds of uh, co- that kind of comedy, SNL, all that stuff. And so I'd seen Candy in small parts, The Great Outdoors, what have you. And then I just there was something about this film, and I was a massive Steve Martin fan yeah, from The too. Jerk and all these other things that had gone. So to me, it was great to just kind of like see these two together. Uh, and it was in that time when I was transitioning from being a teenager, like kind of moving, getting older, you know, where I right. enjoyed Breakfast Club and I enjoyed Weird Science. This was more of an adult film. And right. so uh, it was a joy for me to uh, kind of go into this world. I remember seeing it with my family and just enjoying the hell out of it. And it's become a Thanksgiving tradition for me every year. Yeah. Yeah. Um, for me, uh, I definitely saw it in the theater. And I was a huge Steve Martin fan from mm. the albums. Like, I remember oh, yeah, listening to those albums right. and then seeing him on Saturday Night Live. And then, you know, obviously The Jerk and Man with Two yeah. Brains and all those movies. And in particular, Roxanne. Oh, which yeah. I, I Roxanne love. was fantastic. I love. And then a absolutely huge John Hughes fan. I mean, Breakfast Club, which I really want to do sometime on the cinema. Yeah, definitely. That was such an important movie to me in Sixteen Candles and Ferris Bueller. I mean, those are just huge, huge parts of, you know, our generation yeah, yeah, growing yeah. up. And uh, John Candy, I knew less. I mean, I knew him. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was funny. I went and looked... I, I was always going like, well, who should I do a little biographical information on? And I decided not to do Steve Martin. Okay. And the reason is, is because I know we're going to do some more Steve yeah, Martin. Yeah, yeah. And he's really big. And frankly, I would have reread Born Standing Up, which is his great book about stand-up comedy. Oh, right. gonna, I didn't have time to do it. So I was like, <laughs> okay, Steve Martin's out. Um, I looked at John Candy, and it's really interesting. I didn't know he was a child actor. Yeah. Uh, I had no idea. Um, obviously, he's Canadian. SCTV. Did you, did you watch SCTV? Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah, I mentioned that. Yeah, SCTV with uh, Joe Flaherty and Andrea yeah. Martin and Martin, Martin Short, Short and Rick Moranis I mean, and yeah. uh, who else was uh, Dave Thomas, Eugene Levy, Eugene Levy, who, yeah. and Catherine O'Hara. I think Catherine was O'Hara. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's funny. I remember seeing SCTV because first I discovered Saturday Night Live mm-hmm. because that was sort of the. I got to stay up late, and you know, late seventies. I started to see those things, right? Um, and then, and then there were things like Bizarre. Do you remember that TV no, show? No, I don't remember Bizarre. That's a weird late night comedy thing. Okay. Things like Benny Hill, and so there was Benny like, Hill. Definitely, I knew when Saturday Night Live was, mm-hmm. and then somewhere in there, as I started to look for more things, I started to see this weird <laughs> show, and I didn't know what time it was on. You know, right? And so, it just every once in a while, I'd start to see this SCTV thing, and it was so. It was just like. Two steps more bizarre than Saturday Night Live. Yes, um, and just going, well, who are these people? Right. And then remember, I remember seeing like John Candy, who showed up in 1941. Mm-hmm. He's in Blues, in the film 1941. In the film 1941, right. <laughs> not in the year. <laughs> right, he's not that old. Um, uh, and uh, in Blues Brothers. Yes, oh you know, god, it's so and funny. Then, Blues and Brothers. And then it's really in I think Splash oh, and Stripes. That's the where one. He Splash. really like sort of appears. Yeah, and he's this guy. It's I was thinking about it of like the great comedians uh most of the ones we think about had a time where they reigned 
as the king mm-hmm. of comedy. Mm-hmm. You know, whether it was Eddie Murphy or Adam Sandler or Will Ferrell or whoever, there's a moment where it's like they are the number one person. Jim Carrey. It, yeah. Jim Carrey, exactly. But that's not true of John Candy. No. John Candy was kind of a second banana supporting character. And then, you know, a co-star in Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. And then Uncle Buck, which is his real big oh, yeah. starring role. And that's, you know, and then he passes away so young. Mm-hmm. In, you know, 94 at the age of 44. <laughs> and he, it's just, I mean, it's scary now that we're older mm-hmm. than he was when he passed away. Mm-hmm. And uh, for me, this is his best performance. Yeah, yeah, I would have to agree with that. Yeah. As much as I love Uncle Buck, there's more empathy and vulnerability and honesty. Just really honest. In yeah. His, yeah, in his performance in this movie, and which juxtaposes nicely with what uh, Steve Martin is doing, which is one of the most prissy guys you'll ever meet. But it's very difficult to play a part like that. And Steve Martin, who was known for being outlandish and breaking the rules and you know crossing lines in comedy, to play a very uptight guy it took some skill as well as an well, actor. I was thinking about that too, because I think... That in a lot of ways, not with the assholeness of Neil Page, right, 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 but in the you know introverted, closed. I think this is closer to the real Steve Martin than any other movie he makes. Probably, absolutely true. Because yeah. he, I mean, he makes a reputation for himself as this completely huge, outlandish, yeah. over the top character. I mean, the way he became a stand up is just all fascinating. Yeah, because it's being a, it's him surreally commenting on stand-ups right you know there's all these layers to what he's doing and then you look at movies like the jerk and all these things where he's just playing these huge characters when he is a very quiet introverted uh somewhat neurotic guy yeah that's the reality of him and i think some of the brilliance of john hughes was his casting of these two guys Mm -hmm. to play these parts yeah you know because i think he found something he saw something in these two people that maybe the rest of hollywood had never seen before right and i think what's fascinating about john hughes doing this at this time is because he'd already made his bread and butter off doing these teen teen coming of age That's movies right. and of course home alone is in there uh, isn't that isn't that him, john yeah. hughes yeah and well he wrote it he wrote it chris columbus direct right but still focused on a child doing his yeah. thing so it's more younger so i always champion john hughes's older stuff when he deals with adults like uh that's what i mean by older stuff when he's dealing with older people because I, I love She's Having a Baby as well. And I think the, I've only seen it once. Oh, really? I mean, I remember liking it, yeah. but I just, it wasn't one I went back to. They just speak to a time in my life when I was transitioning and understanding what it meant to get older and be an adult and do it. And you have to start taking responsibility for stuff. And you right. see that in Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. You have to like learn to work with people and be with people you don't necessarily 100% enjoy being around. And then when she's having a baby, you have to kind of be an adult and put face away the childish things. And, and, yeah, face up to your responsibilities. Yeah. So both of those films are films I come back to all the time to just remember and enjoy and laugh from connection and understanding and also from enjoyment from the performances of the characters in the movie and the scripts, which are hilarious. Well, and John, John Hughes is one of the... I don't think he gets the credit he deserves. No, you're right. You know, it's like they're filmmaking... Because, as we talked about lots of times in the show, we tend to elevate the person doing the great drama, mm-hmm. the great epic, the great arti- artsy-fartsy... Cre- yeah. you know, and we tend to... You know, not give as much attention to the, someone who's doing the wonderful comedy. Yeah, and 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 John Hughes. So he comes out of Chicago. I didn't realize that he was a joke writer. He wrote jokes for Rodney Dangerfield. Oh wow! And then, he, but then he was like, I need to get a real job. Goes into advertising mm-hmm. and was quite successful. And I think there's like a big Gillette ad campaign that he huh. did. I mean, he's like, and it's not till he's thirty that he goes. All right, I got to stop doing this, and he right. starts writing for the National Lampoon. Oh wow! And he's so he's writing articles and essays. And after Animal House, everybody is looking for what's the next movie to come out of the National Lampoon. Right. And so suddenly they're asking him to write screenplays. So the first two screenplays he writes are Mr. Mom 
and vacation. Wow, I love Mr. Mom. And, and vacation. Yeah. yeah, these are two great. Yeah. And then and then the next thing he does, it goes, well, I he he watched them and went, man, this wasn't exactly what I wanted them to be. Yeah, and so that's when he decides he wants to direct to protect his own writing, which is a very common thing for for <laughs> as as I well know from like <laughs> this must be exactly as I want it. Right. Um, that's ironic because both those films are very well loved, very well loved. And so it's interesting that he, well, you know, yeah. felt they didn't come out the way he wanted them to. Well, but directors are, you know, that's what they are. They're control freaks. That's but, why. Right. That's why they're directors. <laughs> Say, I have this vision, and this yeah. has to be. You know, sometimes it's as much as a two frames or a pause or just an interpretation sure. of a line that makes a difference. Yeah. Um, and so he goes. The first script he's developing is actually Breakfast Club, mm. and then. He's having actors come in and audition, and he meets Molly Ringwald, mm. and it, everyone said that she's really his muse mm. for like the first. And he goes home and writes sixteen candles in a weekend huh. for Molly Ringwald. Wow! Because this is a guy who wrote fast. Mm-hmm. He every every script he wrote, he wrote in four days, in five days, in a week. And what he would do, he would write a whole script to see if he liked the idea. So he he blast out a hundred pages in a week. Wow. And then he would read it and go, "No, nah, this doesn't. This doesn't work." And he would throw it out. Um, and then if scriptwriters are slamming their heads in the I wall, know, right now like, to hear this. I know it drives me nuts as I as I struggle over every fucking <laughs> phrase. He's just yeah. blast. But then what he would do is once he wrote it, then he would rewrite and rewrite and of rewrite. Course, of course. And so Sixteen Candles became the first thing he made, followed by Breakfast Club, which I, for me that was like one of the most important films of my teenage years yeah. was Breakfast Club. And uh, and then he's making two movies a year because between the age between the 1984 and 87, he does 16 Candles, Breakfast Club, Weird Science, Pretty in Pink, Ferris Bueller, She's Having a Baby, Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. Yeah, That's three years. Yeah. Three, three to four years, he does six movies. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. Right. And they're all so important in my mm-hmm. childhood. Yeah. And, and yet, even though he's making these really important films for us, he's not getting good critical reviews. People are panning his movies. Yep. Yeah, and that's part of why he decides to go do She's Having a Baby in Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. Right. Yeah. It was a way to show them that he could do a more adult right. fair if he needed to. Yeah. Um, all right, so let's talk a little bit about pre-production. Sure. It's funny. It's funny. One thing, though, is like I, uh, you know, before we do these films, I always do listen to commentary. I do whatever's mm-hmm. on like the Blu-ray, and then I read Wikipedia articles, and I look elsewhere to find out information to, to talk about on the show. Yeah. There's not that much information about this movie. Hmm. It's just, you know, unlike things like Apocalypse Now or right. Jaws or Star Wars, where there's endless, endless fascination with how the movie is made, yeah. it doesn't sound, people didn't have a lot to say about planes, <laughs> trains, and automobiles. And, and so I was worried as I was coming here, like, oh, there's not going to be so much to talk about. And then I was driving here just thinking about the movie. And the more I thought about the movie, mm-hmm. the more I found things to talk about. Oh. That just things that are just really interesting about the film, not like, backstory or pre-production or anything like that but just like it actually brings up a lot of stuff oh yeah yeah so briefly on pre-production this all comes from the fact that this happened to to john hughes Mm. is that he was flying uh back to chicago he gets rerouted routed to wichita and takes him five days to get to chicago (laughs) so not that everything in this film happened to him but that's where it begins with um he wanted to do more more adult stories he casts steve martin and john candy right away and then he does what he usually does which is once he casts actors then he go back goes back and rewrites the script to fit those people. Oh, that's great. Yeah, because now he's got particular voices in his head, and he goes, oh, mm-hmm. well, John wouldn't really say that. Steve wouldn't say that. And that the characters become more formed because of that. Right. Um, and what was interesting, too, once they were cast, 
John Candy and Steve Martin sat in on all the auditions wow. and read with all the people coming in to audition great. for the film. Isn't it? Can you imagine that nowadays? It never, would never happen yeah. nowadays. But they just loved the script. Yeah. They loved it. And both of them said, like, from the beginning. What, and, of course, what Steve Martin said is, like, it took me four years to write Roxanne. <laughs> you wrote this in four days. <laughs> <laughs> but, that's, but the thing that's great about uh, what you're talking about, Steve, is you can see that kind of love through their performances. And you can see that kind of love in Absolutely. their interactions and also in how they approach the movie. You can tell yeah. that they enjoy doing it. So should we get into the movie? Yeah, definitely. Let's do it. Start, and I've got a big theory over this whole movie, but I, let's talk I about can't it. wait. Yes, you, tell me when you want to. Tell me when you are ready to lay. It's out probably your right at the beginning, but let's get let's get. Well, into we start it, yeah. looking at a watch, and we're yeah. in an ad executive meeting. Remember those watches, those gold with the with the space in between the yeah. bars. It was supposedly cool in the eighties. Very very cool. I had, I, had, I, had, I had a watch I loved so much, and it was like I think it cost me fifty dollars. It was like a fifty dollar watch. Wow, that was and it was like a like from my parents, like a big gift that I had picked out, and that was. Big, big money. Yeah. And I wore that thing all the time. I thought it was the coolest. It was a Seiko. Yeah. It was very cool. Not a nice Casio. <laughs> it's not a nice Casio. Uh, and we are waiting and waiting and yeah. waiting for this guy to look at these pictures for some meeting. So let's talk about this. And this, I want to present the theory Okay, now. yes, I'm ready. Because I believe there is a John Hughes-verse. Before there was ever a Marvel, multi, Marvel Universe or DC Comics right. Universe... There is a John Hughes universe. The guy looking at those pictures is the father of Elizabeth McGovern, and she's having a baby. Oh, my God. The guy across from Steve talking to him is Ferris Bueller's dad. dad. Yeah. It's all set in Chicago. So right. is Ferris Bueller's. So is she's having a baby. So is all. So all the me, movies are. All yeah. the movies are set in Chicago. So to me, this is an entire multiverse. And when we get later to Kevin Bacon, he is out there, still right. a young guy, trying to make his name like he is, and she's having a baby. So to me, the entire universe exists. And somewhere, Ben Stein was fired from his teacher job, <laughs> and he is now working at the airlines. And Edie McClure is no longer is no longer. You're right, because she got kicked out. So, well, but the, or that's Edie McClure's twin sister from right. from uh, from Ferris Bueller. So, to me, there's a whole. So, this is where it begins <laughs> for me, and I have nothing but pleasure as I watch the movie, thinking in my mind that this is all in the same universe. These are all stories from the same place. Yeah, I, I, I whether or not they're the same actual characters, although I'm kind of like like in my mind yeah. now, Edie McClure is talking about Thanksgiving with her twin sister. Right, that's who she's on the phone with. That's what I think. Um, <laughs> so I love the theory, but regardless, you always feel in this John Hughes world. Mm -hmm. It's very much in his, and again, you go into like, well, what makes someone an auteur? What makes someone an artist? Well, right. John Hughes is John Hughes. He's existing within a very specific world. Yeah. Yeah, I totally agree. Mm -hmm. uh, so Steve Martin wants to get the hell out of there. This guy's taking forever. They really emphasize <laughs> this. Have you been in this meeting? I've been in this meeting before. Oh my God, me too. Yeah. It's like, dude, it's just, a, just like, you like it, you don't like it. Yeah. Let's, let's move on. Can yeah. We, but you're trapped by your boss, and that's what you got to do. And we're waiting and waiting. We see the highlight on his plane ticket that's at 6 o'clock. Right. And finally, this guy ends. And we he, there's even these moments of he's about to say something. Yes. Does not say anything. Finally, we end up out of the elevator. He never said anything. And nope. now Steve Martin's got to rush to make this uh, plane. Yes. And the guy says to him, you'll never make the you'll six. You'll never make the six. But that's Ferris Bueller's dad. He's like, no, I'm going to wait till the 8 o'clock. Like, he's got no rush to get home. He's in Chase Challenge. No, his kid is homesick. Yeah, what does he care? What does he care? Wouldn't it be great if this was the same day? That <laughs> like, right, all of this That intake, right yeah. as they're in here, Ferris Bueller is on, on a float singing Certainly Donka possible. Shane? Certainly possible. All right, I'm really starting to like your theory. <laughs> so he gets outside. He's got to get a cab. Yeah. Not easy to get a cab in the middle of New York. 
Um, Chicago. No, you're in New York. We were in New York. That's right. I started in New yeah. York. Yeah, to go to Chicago. Park, right. Yeah, to go to Chicago. Uh, can't get a cab. Can't get a cab. Right. Almost gets a cab. Some other guy's trying to get the cab. So what's he obviously going to bribe the guy? Ten dollars, right. fifty dollars. The guy, I love the guy, accepts fifty dollars <laughs> and then says he's about to give him fifty dollars. Says, well, someone who could give fifty dollars could obviously pay seventy five. <laughs> Oh, that's a dick move. There's lawyers. Yeah, he yeah. says I'm a lawyer. <laughs> yep. Exactly. And so he makes the deal for $75, pays the $75. Someone else has gotten in the cab. Right. And the cab is driving away. Well, I don't want to skip over the Kevin Bacon part, which oh my is God. really okay. great. Because I love that. Yeah, I'm so sorry. No, it's okay. I yeah. love that because I love that sequence because it's a way of like getting you back into the Johnny. Like, it's so great that Kevin Bacon would come in and do this small part. And I don't know, you know, if they'd already started pre-production on She's Having a Baby or what was going on that time. But to see him show up... Basically playing the same part he's playing and she's having a baby and then running down the street and he beats him for the cab. To me, that's the first uh, that was I think that was John Hughes way of saying like this is a different kind of film. This is not going to be one of these kind of feel good like uh, teen angsty films. Kevin Bacon is the faster guy. He's the younger guy. He's the quicker guy. He's leaving him behind. And I think he's saying something there. And that's that's just me maybe reading into it. But I think he's saying something there. It's maybe. more than just a fun little uh, uh, back and forth. Well, and it's all it's definitely you know this is the beginning of the Steve Martin beatdown. Yeah, and it's interesting. So Kevin Bacon, they I think they sh- it's weird. I think they shot She's Having a Baby before. Planes, Trains, and Automobiles, right. but released it after. Yeah. Because in IMDb, it's the year after, even though, because what Kevin Bacon says is, I had so much fun doing She's Having a Baby that I said to John, you got a bit part for me. Anything you want, I'll come do it. And that's how this happened. That's perfect. Yeah. Yep. Um, and he's so funny. He is so young and yeah. good looking and Kevin Bacon-ish in this era. The smirk is everything. That, that is a power, <laughs> that's a power smirk. Yes. Um, so the, 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 he doesn't get the car that he paid money for. It starts driving away. He chases the car down the street. Hey, that's my cat. That's my cat. Come on. Yeah. Steve Martin has a funny run. Yes. <laughs> I don't know if it's on purpose, but I it certainly know. works for the character. That kind of frustrated stick up his ass kind of run, you yeah. know, where everything is angular, almost like Roger Craig from the 49ers. If anybody <laughs> remembers the, the kind of high stepping run that he does. But, but you know, but before we get to that point, the reason uh, Steve Martin loses the first cab to Kevin Bacon is because he trips over Del Griffith's trunk, which is once again a kind of precursor so to what's going yeah, to happen right. into right. the film. What's going to happen is that Del Griffith is constantly going to be in his way of getting to where he's going. So funny because you know this movie so much. Better <laughs> I really than I do. do. Yeah, you really yeah. do because I haven't seen it in fifteen years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's like I, I, it, and it's one of those movies where I did watch it a lot from mm-hmm. like nineteen eighty seven to nineteen ninety two. Right. And then maybe once since then, I don't really know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so keep on me. No, no, it's if okay. I, I'm missing it's, it. You know, we're great. I love it. Um, uh, so he catches up to the cab. He opens up the door, and we get our first glimpse of John Candy, <laughs> and he just screams at him. Yeah, yeah. By the way, my dad had 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 that hat for years. Really? Yes. The 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 cream or beige colored hat that he has wearing at the. I was like, I couldn't believe it. And I and I to this day I believe it's because he saw it in the movie, loved it, and he bought it and he wore it for years. That's awesome. That's my belief. Um, that's hilarious. We uh, we get to the airport and Steve Martin arrives on the bus. Yes. Not pleased about the bus. Rushes through the airport, sprints through at full speed, gets to the gate. You cannot do this anymore. <laughs> no, you can't. There's no. There's no like. My plane is leaving at 20 minutes. I've, in, in, in 10 minutes, I've arrived at the airport. I'm going to make it on the plane. Right. Even that, without a carry-on. No, it, that, that reality does not work at all anymore. Um, and, of course, the flight is delayed. Calls his family, tells them, oh, I shouldn't be later than 10. Don't right. worry. Right. 
we of course already know that this is never going to happen because we've seen the trailer for the yes. film. We know it's not going to work out that way. We're waiting, and who is he sitting across from but John Candy? <laughs> Del Griffith. Del Griffith. Reading a very uncomfortable uh, sexual novel. <laughs> What's it called? I could never quite get the oh, title. Oh, God. What is That would be a great Schmodown question. That's a five-pointer <laughs> if I ever heard one. Oh, geez, it's something like, I don't know. It's like The Hustler or something. I don't know. Yeah. Clearly something in the erotic. Yes, it is. And I used to work in bookstores right in the tail end when they stopped selling those. But yes. Um, And just brazenly reading that in the middle of the airport, no big deal. No. Well, I don't think that Del Griffin (laughs) has a lot of sense of how his actions might affect other people. Right. That is not his strong. He has many strong suits. Sure, sure. But that is not one of them. Agreed. And Steve is staring at him, and then John is staring at Steve, or Neil is staring at Del, and Del is staring at Neil, and they're staring, and they're staring, and then he realizes who it is. Yeah. You stole my cab. (laughs) I've never stole anything in my life. And this is, I think this is key to the movie, which is how do we interpret the events that have happened to us? Yeah. And Steve Martin immediately interprets it as this guy maliciously stole my cat. Yeah. And we, and of course we know that's not true. Right. Del Griffin would never re- maliciously steal someone's cat. He's certainly the first one to tell you that. Yeah. <laughs> he oblivious, obliviously took the cab. Maybe. And really the problem is the cab driver. Do you think he did purposely steal oh, the yes. cab? See, he I did? think Dell is a little more, I think Dell is a little more passive aggressive than people want to believe in this movie. And I think. There are certainly moments. Yes. And I think he has his, he's such a sweet guy, but he's also a guy who will take advantage of a situation and then try to maybe. Sweet he's, his way he's a out bit of, of a he's a bit of a child in that way that yeah. he he mm, like, yeah you're right that's what I feel like because throughout the whole movie there are the certain things he does that like if he's a regular fully functioning human adult male he wouldn't do or accept but he does because of this whole situation because of the way he is well and this is the thing the film is going to do throughout the whole film yeah. is you cannot permanently side with anybody no no you 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 you'll have moments where you're totally with one of them sure and then you'll just be like oh god yeah what have you done right and dell at that point is wants to make it good like let me buy you a hot dog let me buy yeah. you a beer let me buy you you know and and steve martin is trying to nicely ish yes say that's not really what i want right i'm kind of picky about what i eat some coffee no milk no soda no some tea no lifesavers no slurpee sir please just let me know. I'm here. <laughs> I knew I knew you. <laughs> I knew I knew you. I love that. <laughs> and it's it's great. The costume, like the costume works really well to the, the clothes, I think is really great. You have to give a shout out to whoever did the costume design because he's wearing a yellow shirt with a brown tie and that yeah. vest or that sweater vest that he's wearing. It does not radiate someone of money or power no. or status. Whereas Steve Martin's in a very nice suit. Beautiful suit. Yeah, hat, briefcase, leather briefcase. The whole, even though it got run over by two cars, it's still there. And so you get that sense that he is from a different, they're different social strata, definitely, and the way they approach things. Plus he's a larger man versus yeah. a thinner man. So this whole thing is working like a Laurel and Hardy kind of thing. Well, and I think they even put Steve in suits that are slightly big for him. Yes. To emphasize his skinniness. <laughs> yes. It makes him look skinny because the clothes are kind of hanging off. Yes. We get on the plane. Steve Martin has a first-class ticket. He's not getting a first-class ticket. And according to the stewardess, he doesn't. And and again, now we see this side of him, which is like, dude, you are not 
understanding how to get along with people. Yeah, no. Like, he is not, this is not the way. Right. Like, it is, and this is, it just in general, and we're going to see this throughout this movie, mm-hmm. one of the things that drives me nuts is people that attack someone in a, in a lower power position yeah. when it is not their fault. Right. You know, mm-hmm. it's like that, the reason your food is late is not because of that waiter. Right. The reason that you're, you know, computer isn't working is not because of the technical support person you're talking right. to the reason that you're, you're having a problem with your bank is not the teller right don't yell at them right and it's and it's so not useful yep. like that is not going to help you get that first class seat exactly i have had just about enough of you now take your seat oh you've had about enough of me first you delay me then you bump me i can't wait to see what happens next is this a coincidence or what <laughs> have a seat <laughs> and Dallas wants to make friends. He does. He, which we find out in retrospect. Obviously, later he's in, he's a lonely guy, and he he talks too much. He's all these kind of things yeah. because he wants he's so desperately to make connection with people, people he respects, people he likes. Well, you know? and this is you know one of the things I was thinking about watching this is this is the extrovert introvert yes. problem. Yeah, which is that. So who uh, uh, I'm not going to ask who you are between these two people. Depends on the day. Yeah. It really does. There are days that I feel like Steve Martin and I'm I'm prissy about shit and I'm like, why isn't this getting done? Why are these people delaying stuff? But I never yell at waiters. Yell, like I agree yeah, with I you that do I hate that. doing that shit. And there are other days where I feel like Del Griffith when I'm around people who are of higher status. I feel this like sometimes nervousness to talk too much or to connect too easily or laugh too quickly. And so I vacillate from day to day what it is. I like to think I'm somewhere in the middle because well, I am. And what's interesting know. is like when we asked, because I asked that question and you answered... A, a totally correct answer about not the things I was thinking about mm. because you were talking about um, status and getting angry at people, which totally are what's going on. In the yeah, film. absolutely. Okay, yeah. And I was thinking about the extrovert introvert thing. Oh, well, I'm of, certainly an extrovert. Yeah. And it's like me, particularly on an airplane. Yeah. I don't want to talk to anybody. Oh, no. On an airplane? I'm a phenomenal introvert. It's like I have yeah. my book to listen to. Yep. And I have like all I think is I get to be alone for the next five hours yep. and just listen to my thing and play video games and not deal with humans in any way. Yep. And if a stranger sitting next to me goes, hey, how you doing? I'm like, oh, fuck. Right. Because I don't want to be rude, right. but I do not want to talk to you. I agree. I try to limit the amount of conversation I have in any pu- any public transportation. Yeah. I do because I just want to kind of just take that mind to un- moment to unwind my mind and relax for a little bit. It's like you get in the Uber and the guy says, hey, how's your night going? You yeah. know, I just had, I'm like, oh, oh shit. <laughs> and, and look, people are lovely, but right. I don't like them. Right. Well, <laughs> you know? I'm not saying that, but I am saying that like when I take it on a plane, I, I, and it's one of the greatest things I ever discovered, those Bose nose, Bose nose canceling oh, earphones. Those are amazing. Some people make fun of me at my job and other places where I walk around wearing them, but that's my way of keeping my mind straight. And it's like, it's so important. And I can't believe I just, like they're the greatest things I've ever discovered last few years yeah my wife has a pair they're they're yep. amazing yeah they're amazing because i want i i he, you know because i'm an introvert yep. i heal in private time right you know whereas extroverts you know tend to if you need to get some energy mm-hmm. you need to go out with people yeah and i'm like oh i need to be alone right you know and then i'll feel better um and but the other way the way that i feel like dell i'm a big guy yeah and i'm but unlike dell <laughs> i am hypersensitive about being a big guy on a plane mm-hmm. I, I will do everything in my power to never be in the center seat right because that's imposing my size on mm-hmm. other people mm-hmm. i always try to be on the window if possible and i will scrunch into the window and keep my oh, arms funny. up the whole flight well because i don't want to i don't want to be someone imposing on someone else's space. Well, you and I are different because I feel the same. I feel like I'm a big guy myself when I get on a plane because I have these big shoulders yeah. that can cross 
armrests. Right. So I hate to sit in the middle and I hate the windows. I like to sit in the aisle because it lets me stretch out a little bit more. And I don't mind the stewardesses bumping me with their carts. I'd rather have that than imposing myself on someone who's sitting in the middle right. seat or someone who's sitting in the window seat if I'm sitting in the middle. So uh, the middle seat is the worst, the worst fucking thing for me, man. It's terrible because then I feel I feel like how Dell looks. Right. Well, you feel five times bigger than right. you actually are. And I don't know if you've ever gotten the look. Like I've walked to the seat and someone oh, sits, yeah. and they go, oh, you're going to sit next to me. And I, I'm like, look, I'm going to, I literally will cross my arms for a five hour <laughs> flight in order to not be a jerk. Right, right, you right. You know? Um, yeah, it's, 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 but Dell takes it to a whole other level. Yeah. <sighs> takes those shoes off. Oh, oh, that feels good. Oh, God, I'm telling you, my dogs are barking today. <laughs> Takes the socks off. socks off and then flails the socks. Oh my god! It's so John good. Candy is so funny in this movie. Yeah, what he does in this scene is so funny. Oh, oh yeah. Oh my dogs are barking. <laughs> That's great. By the way, the old guy is sitting next to Steve Martin. He's in tons of stuff. Yeah, he well, he's the grandfather in. Um Sixteen candles. Yes, this is sixteen candles. Yeah, that's where he's from. So like he just has you know he's that's what I'm saying. It's so a wait, whole wait. John Hughes verse. Is he flying back to Chicago back for to Molly Chicago? Ringwald's birthday? Probably. <laughs> See what I mean? <laughs> no, we got to keep this theory. Well, not going. Molly Ringwald's because they forget that in sixteen. Candles. Oh right, he's flying for, for the, the wedding. wedding. He's yeah. flying for the wedding. Right. By the way, I don't think we can do, ever do sixteen candles on cinephiles. No, I can't. I don't want to do. Real, it. There's real problems with. Yep. It. Breakfast I Club, happy it. to, but 16 Candles. Never. I loved it as a kid, but and there were Breakfast no and Tiffany's were never doing, if, no. if I have anything to say about it. Uh, I believe that you have a. Uh, <laughs> 50%. Have 50%. Say about it, yeah. Yeah, 49. Okay, 50, 50, yeah, 50% vote. John, I can't tell you how excited I am about the Cinephiles new sponsor, an absolutely incredible game, Marvel Strike Force. Now, anyone who's listened to the show knows that I've been reading comic books since I was five years old, and this is like a comic book fan's dream come true. You could create a mobile squad and play as your favorite Marvel characters. I mean, everyone is there. The Punisher, Vision, Black Panther, Cap, or even my favorite Marvel character of all time, Daredevil. Your goal is to power up those characters, unlock gear, and use them to compete in player versus player mode, alliance mode, and real-time arena. Yes, yeah, Stephen, as we speak, they are enjoying their six-year anniversary. Six years, wow. And you know what that means? Free stuff just for signing up via their unique link in the description. The anniversary consists of weekly events and bonuses. If you complete each event, you can receive special rewards and skins. Completing every single mission throughout the entire anniversary will result in an even more special reward. Make sure to log in each day and each week to take advantage of all the new characters that are being released specifically for this event. This will be Marvel Strike Force's most generous event to date, so don't miss out, y'all. Check out that unique promo code, and for every new user, please follow our link in the description and use the promo code MAXPOOL. Once again, thank you so much to Marvel Strike Force. We're very, very excited to have you sponsoring this episode. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. 
Uh, oh, of course, we have to discuss what uh, uh, Dell's job is. Yes. Traveling shower ring salesman. How do you get to be a curtain <laughs> shower curtain ring salesman? I don't know. I Did they have think, that back then? I don't think. Well, have you known traveling salesmen? Kmarts were around that you could have buy shower curtain rings. Well, but part of it is, so uh, one of my family's closest friends, he was a girl's dress traveling salesman. Wow. And he drove around with... A station wagon with filled with the whole back with, uh, you know, teenage girl dresses, and he would drive up and down the West Coast selling them to stores. Oh wow! Okay. So he, I mean, like there were traveling salesmen, Mm -hmm. but shower rings? Yeah, I I don't know. It's a funny, and he never checks in with his job. No, never checks in with anybody ahead of him or his boss. Say, hey, I'm stuck in Wichita. I'm doing this, (laughs) doing that. He never checks in with. Well, he got a lot of free money. That's why people take the shower ring salesman. uh, job because I a guess. lot of freedom, independence. Sure, <laughs> there's a, we're in the dark on the flight. Of course, both heads end up on Steve right. Martin, and Candy has the great line: opens his eyes, and says six bucks in my right nut, says we're not landing in Chicago." <laughs> because of course, Chicago is snowed in. Right. Cut to Wichita. Wichita. Have you been to Wichita? Never. Me neither. Yeah, I I know some good songs. <laughs> That have Wichita in the title. Sure. But I don't, I've never been to Wichita. I'm sure it's got good barbecue. Sure. I've missed a lot of the middle of the United States. I've been around the whole top mm-hmm. East Coast bottom. Right. But uh, I've been to Missouri, but I haven't, like Iowa, Kansas, mm. I've, Arkansas, I've not been in all this. One of my goals in life is to have two weeks to drive across country to see those states. It's the best. I definitely want to. Well, I don't know if those states are the best, but have right. you done that cross country drive? Mm, oh, with my dad when we moved out here to LA from Virginia. Uh, yes. It's but, amazing. But we did it from the lower part of the country, not right. the middle part of the country. So that's what I want to do. So in, in 95, Karen and I drove from Los Angeles up through the top of Oregon, across oh. the top of the US into Canada, Niagara Falls, wow. Maine, and then drove down the east and back along the south. Oh, so we, and it was like seven weeks. Wow. And it was astounding. Wow. Yeah. Um, it was like one of the most amazing trips ever. That's great. Um, okay. But Wichita. <laughs> and uh, immediately, you know, Steve calls his family. And then John Candy, Dell, it's right up in his business, asking personal questions, talking about his wife. Mm. Uh, his way of trying to connect. It's clumsy. It is really clumsy. Yeah. As Steve does not like that. And, and he gives some wonderful advice, though. He says, like your work and love your wife. Right. That's lovely. Steve Martin is not interested in hearing it. And John Candy also predicts, this flight is canceled. you got to trust me. We'd have more luck playing pickup sticks with our butt cheeks than we will get in a flight out of here before daybreak. Moment later, we got Ben Stein. Ladies and gentlemen, may I have your attention, please? I'm sorry to announce that we're canceling flight 909 due to severe weather in Chicago. It's the smile he gives that is so. There's <laughs> <laughs> this weird glee. Oh, yeah. He, he, he uh, calls ahead. It was you got on the phone with your wife. I got on the phone with the, the, the something in. Yeah, the something in. And he's got, Maru says, if you pay the cab fare, you can have a room for the night. Because he has a friend who is a manager of the hotel. Or the inn, rather. Question. Does he really believe that he can get him his own room? Or does John Candy at this moment already know they're probably going to spend the night in a room together? I think he's not smart enough to know that there he can't get him a a room. probably what I think, too. Yeah, I think, he, I think he thinks he can get him, because John Candy, like, I mean, Del Griffith, rather, always thinks he can deliver more than he... And he's always had. optimistic. Yeah, he's, he's very got optimistic. a very sunny disposition about <laughs> for, life. For a guy with a lot of pain, he's incredibly optimistic. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so they get in a cab? If you want to call it that. 
<laughs> Man. So we watched it last night with my son. Yeah. Uh, which oh, wow. this was his first R-rated movie. Oh, wow. Because um, I looked at it, I'm like, look, all the R rating is is because of like 28, 28 fucks in a row. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and so I was like, yeah, you know, that'll be fun. Right. And <laughs> Jack started going, that's like an evil cab. <laughs> that guy looks like a vampire. <laughs> and I was like, you know what? I think you're, I think you're correct. Yeah. This is a sign of... Everything is an opportunity for some comedy, and John Hughes totally understands this. Right, we can have it be a normal cab, right? Sure, but why not have it be an awesome demonic lowrider with a creepy guy in the front seat with uh, uncomfortable pictures of naked women yeah. on his fucking dashboard? What I love also is uh, this, and this speaks to Del Griffith's uh, sunny disposition. And the guy says, "Why didn't you take the highway?" Well, he said, "The guy's first time here. Thought he'd enjoy taking." It. He's like, what? "It's the middle of the night," and he right. says to him. The guy's proud of his town. Right. You know, that's kind of a rare thing nowadays. And it struck me as I was watching this movie now, this time, Steve, is this red state, blue state thing that we have now in 2017. And it's interesting. And you're watching a, a uh, in Steve Martin, an elitist, blue state, stereotype, typical guy. Absolutely. Right? And yet there are people who are probably going to take advantage and, you know, whatever, and they'll do whatever. But... John Candy's approach to it is seeing the better side. Why? Because we have to learn to live with each other. And this is where, this is so interesting that the film kind of accidentally 30 years later has a, another message underneath it that maybe wasn't there before. And so it's just fascinating. I to think watch. that is such a great point. Yeah. That is so, in, I, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, so on this trip, yeah. Karen and I went on, we ended up in Bend, Oregon. And Bend, Oregon is a, you know, medium, small size town. And we're heading off towards Idaho. Mm-hmm. And um, we stop at a gas station, and in Oregon, you, there's no self-serve, so someone fills up your tank. Right. And guy, the guy comes up, who's an older guy, it's his gas station, and he says, how you doing today? And I was like, I'm okay. And now, where are you heading? Where'd you come from? And I'm like, well, I came from here. We're heading you know, to go up to these mountains and do this stuff. And he goes, now, so... You could drive in a nice car. Like, how, how's it going? He just starts chatting with us. And I'm going as a urban sure. guy from the West Coast going, sure. why is this person talking to me? Yeah, yeah, fill up a tank. You know, and 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 but the reality was he genuinely was nice. Yeah. And genuinely cared and wanted how and, and it's exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. It's the East Coast West Coast sensibility yeah. against the middle of America sensibility. Yeah. And it's happening right in this moment. Yep. Yeah. Now I kind of think that cab driver was yes. not happy to just show the Of town. course. He's taking advantage of them a little bit. A little bit. Yeah. Uh, we show up at the motel, and Gus does know Dell, and they mm-hmm. laugh, and they get along right away. And this is what is that Dell, with a certain kind of people, yeah. knows how to get along really oh, well. Oh, yeah, absolutely. He's great. Mm-hmm. Um, He's a salt-of-the-earth guy. Yep. And we're going to take the credit cards, and credit cards come out. And this is a plant that takes a long time to come back, mm-hmm. is that, is that uh, Neil gets the wrong card. Right. Um, and it takes so long to come back that you're going like, wait, why has this not had a mm-hmm. consequence for a long time? Unfortunately, there's only last one room left in the complex they're going to have to share. <laughs> they walk into the room. There is only one bed. <laughs> and there is long, there's like a great long pan yeah. from the bed all the way up to John Candy's <laughs> smile. <laughs> and an uncomfortable gay joke. J- gay jokes ensue. Yes. Uh, yes. So... The world has changed. Sure. I don't think you would make this joke today. Maybe. But, you know, we, you, I don't think you and I have ever slept in a bed together. No, but, but I sleep with Shannon every, every year at Comic-Con. There are lots of guys at Comic-Con in yeah. particular. Yeah. You know, it hasn't come up in a long time, but there was a time where 
you know, that was sort of normal. And there's certain rules about yeah. sleeping in a bed with another guy. Yeah. And, and, and the rules, you know, I hugged the edge of my side of the bed. <laughs> there was generally not contact. If there was contact, it was incidental and yes. never discussed. Yeah, never discussed. You know? And quickly moved away from. And quickly moved away yeah. from. And we're kind of going to get into that situation. Yeah. Um, and, uh, <laughs> and it's fine. Maybe, you know, the world has changed. And maybe 19-year-old guys who are going to Comic-Con today or 22-year-old guys, maybe they're not having the awkwardness. That- I'm sure they're not. I'm sure they're not. It's just different. Yeah. We're once again, old. we're dealing with, you know, like the prissiness of Martin con, uh, con, slamming up against the more homeliness of, of Candy's character, of Delker. Well, yeah. I meant to ask this question. Yeah. You're at the airport. Okay. Yeah. Your flight is canceled. Del Griffin says, I can get us a motel. Yeah. Do you go with him? No. Me neither. I would have stayed and slept in the like, and that's and that's what thing that's what I think is prevalent throughout the whole movie is this idea of they each make choices uh, based on this desire to have the best possible outcome, right? As opposed to sacrificing a little bit so that they don't have to be stuck in a situation they don't want to be stuck in. Yeah. And so for me, I would have absolutely slept. I've slept in an airport before. Me too. If you find the right uh, place, you can sleep comfortably. Because we're human beings and we can adapt to situations, right? Uh, they talk about that with your body temperature. Like your body temperature, if you once you get past a certain wall, your body temperature will adjust to cold or adjust to heat or adjust to whatever. But you have to power through those moments where it feels like you're not going to be able to make it. Once you do, then you're fine. And I don't mean like Titanic and shit. I'm just talking like when you make adjustments, your body will adjust. So you yourself will adjust to situations because your will to survive is stronger than your will to die. Wow. I just mean like that's no I I agree I just like I didn't know we would get to your will to survive versus your will to dive in plane trains and automobiles although it is kind of appropriate this is why I'm single man I think about things too much no no yeah Yeah, you think about things too much I'm an over analytical (laughs) fuck yes Um, yes welcome to the cinephiles yeah right exactly (laughs) two over analytical fucks (laughs) chatting about movies Um, I I, for me it's just like um it's not that bad. You know what I mean? Right. And you know, like, okay, now I'm going to have a shitty night at the airport. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I don't, you know, I don't really care that much. Right. It's like, I will, I will find a hot dog and I will find a book. And, <laughs> hot dog. I love that. You know what I mean? Like this, I will, I will find a chair and I will make it through this night and it'll I'm be fine. Get me a fucking hot dog. Listen, I want to ask you a, a question <laughs> yes. in, in, in return. Why does Steve Martin say yes? I, knowing I, who Del Griffith is, I, it's really well. One of the basic questions, and this is a question that came up strangely enough in like as opposite a movie as possible. But yeah. who's afraid of Virginia Woolf? Yes, which is why don't they leave? And that in oh. order to keep who's afraid of Virginia Woolf going, right. we must keep that young couple in this situation that is horrible. Yes, and we must keep Steve Martin here. And when yep. he tries to leave, we must bring him back. That's what's going to happen throughout the film. Yep. And I think you you said it. It's that prissy quality of he is looking for something that is up to his status. Yep. And so he sees a guy sleeping on the floor in the airport, and he goes, I cannot be that person. I'm beneath that. Yeah. Or that's beneath me. That's rather. beneath me. Yeah. And uh, Or I just can't handle that. Yeah, sure. Um, and so he goes, okay, I'm going to go take the gamble of being with this guy who I don't like in order to get a bed. Right. 
and this is just and it's so funny because this is just naive to me. Mm-hmm. It's like no, there's nothing, there's nothing there. Right. Like you don't know. And yes, Dell does seem to make good predictions about what's going to happen. Yeah. In terms of when the how long it's going to take for the flight cancel and all this stuff. But for me, I don't trust that guy. Yeah. He doesn't know what the weather is. Which his wife tells him later. Yeah. When he tells him, I spent the night with a guy, a stranger. She goes, "You spent the night with a stranger at the airport or from the airport? Yeah. So are you crazy? Well, it's not even that I don't trust him in terms of he's going to kill me. Right. I don't trust his information about snow storms pl- flight sure, cancellations sure, sure. like you don't know that stuff yeah, you right. you know i'm just gonna stay here <laughs> be close to the plane <laughs> in case they open it up and i can get on a plane right um so but but that but then we wouldn't have a movie right so we get we're in this room dell's in the bed or getting ready for bed steve goes to take a shower good physical comedy with the soap and the yes. eyes the vet bed of course vibrates i love the oh come on <laughs> who hasn't had that he's so he steve martin is so funny <laughs> yes. And yes yes and of course the water comes on and it's hot right all that all that stuff is really funny and then he gets out of the shower and it is a complete mess it's a pigsty yeah which means several things sure first of all dell is not polite he's not considerate he's not considerate necessarily second of all did dell come into the bathroom while he was in the shower no I didn't. I've never thought that. How did Steve not know that the bathroom was a complete? God damn, that's a great shower? point. Maybe Dell came into the shower. Well, there's a newspaper on the ground, so you know he took a shit. <laughs> so certainly possible that he went into the bathroom while he was showering yeah. and did his not not shit, but like did every everything else. Used up every towel, water yeah. on the floor. Used up every towel. That's a crime, dude. It, it is horrible. That's a crime. So here, here's another philosophical question. Yeah. And, and this, I, I, I might, maybe I've asked you this before at some bar at some point. Sure. But okay, you're a guest in someone's house. Yeah. Should you, A, bend over backwards for them, make sure to make your bed in the morning, be very clean, kind of live within their world, and because and, and make it as easy for them as possible mm-hmm. because they're being so nice as to put you up in their house. Yes. Or B... You're a guest in their house. You're traveling. They should really take good care of you and show you a good time because you're on vacation and they should they should really bend over backwards for you. The first one. Okay. You're having a guest in your house. Yes. Should you A, bend over backwards for them because they're on vacation and you want to show them a good time and make sure they get to do everything that they want and everything's good for them? Yes. Or should they B, bend over backwards for you because you're nice enough to put them in their house and they should kind of live within your space? No, the first one. Right. I would say I've asked this question a lot. Yeah, eighty percent of people answer exactly how you did. Yeah, and and what it is is you are bending over backwards in both circumstances. Yes, your standard switches whether mm-hmm. you are the guest, which is logically totally inconsistent. Inconsistent? It's totally inconsistent. Okay, because because what you're saying is that this, and I'm I feel the same way. Yeah, by the way. I answer exactly the same way. Yeah. What one would expect is if I go, well, the guest should be considerate then I would think that the host should be going like, should think, well, they're, now they're the guest, therefore they should bend over backwards for oh, me. Oh, I see what you're saying. Because you should have the same standard, which, which, but, but what your standard is, yeah. which is what mine is, is yeah. in both circumstances, you should be extremely considerate. Of course. Because you and I are considerate people. Right, and I, and I don't want to put an expectation on them to behave the way I would behave. Exactly. That's why I have that inconsistent exactly. logic. But what's interesting, I find, so yeah. two, two things I find that are interesting about this. One is is that most people answer the way you and I did, which yeah. is this weird, uh, I'm going to bend over backwards in both positions. And yet... But I don't think that's weird if 80% of the people, it's the 20% that are weird, just well, by sure. definition. 
We're normal. Okay. Well, no. Yes, you're right. Okay. I don't mean that we're weird in that we're abnormal. I okay. mean that it's interesting that logically yes. we're not abnormal. <laughs> we do not have abnormal brains. <laughs> no. Um, is that is that there's this strange logic gap because your behavior yeah. bends over backwards in both circumstances. Yes. And what's what's also interesting is there's this um, cognitive dissonance because obviously people don't really behave this way. Right. You know what I mean? Right. Is that people are not actually behaving the way they think they're behaving. Mm-hmm. It, you know, it's like the thing where um, if you do a survey and say, are you a below average driver, an average driver, above average driver, or an excellent driver? All of these sur- surveys mm-hmm. show that 80% of people think that they are above average or excellent. Yeah. Which is impossible because that's not how average <laughs> works. Um, and in fact, men in particular say they're above average or oh, excellent. Of course they do. And men... But the most dangerous drivers in the world are like men between 16 and 25. That is the <laughs> most dangerous drivers there are. And so our set. So first of all, we have this weird logic thing of going, I would bend over backwards in both directions. Yeah. And this cognitive dissonance thing where obviously that can't possibly be true. Right. Dell has no idea he's being inconsiderate. Certainly possible. He doesn't like the fact that he would use all the towels. Yeah. Have water on the floor. Yeah. You know, do all the things that he's doing. And yet, as we find out throughout the movie, he really likes this guy. Yeah. And wants it, but he cannot understand while waving his smelly sock yeah. might be a problem. Yeah. Is a real cognitive dissonance. Well, the other possibility, and I know we're like, we're just really going, we have so much more of the movie to talk about. But the other possibility is that Steve Martin was so, he expected Dell to have a certain level of courtesy because that's what he's used that's to. That's what he's used to, yeah. But he didn't even survey the bathroom when he walked into it. He just kind of got undressed, <laughs> jumped is... in there. And jumped in the shower and didn't even think to look around. And by the time he did, when he got out of the shower, he discovered his that's definitely tragedy. That's definitely a possibility. <laughs> yeah. And if it is, then he's an idiot. Yes. Well, Always check for a towel. Of course. <laughs> like, this is not. Like, I've stayed with four, three or four other guys in a hotel room. I always check <laughs> always for towels. Always check. Yeah. Yeah. You got, yeah, you got to. Yeah. All right. So <laughs> now that we spent 20 minutes on that fucking scene. Yeah. Well, this is why I say the movie got deeper as yeah. I was driving over here. Yes. Um, so we get into bed together. Um, apparently we've exploded a beer can on the, on the bed. Oh no, we haven't. Well, Dell has. Dell's a stupid ass, (laughs) turns on the fucking vibrating bed and leaves the, the beer cans on the bed. And I love Steve Martin saying, or, uh, uh, Neil Page saying to him, the the bed was vibrating. What did you think was going to happen to the beer cans? By the way, who likes vibrating beds? Back then they did in the eighties. This is not something I want to sleep on. I'm just telling you. Uh, Waterbeds, too, were a thing. So so we got some knuckle cracking, some sinus clearing. <laughs> it goes on and Worst. on. And then Neil has had enough. Yeah. And he gets up. And this scene, is, I had forgotten that this scene is as early in the movie as it yeah, is. Yeah, yeah. He just lays into Dell. And it is. It's been building. Hor- oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um and, and, you know, and, and Dell calls him. He, I love Dell's line of, Gee, if your kid spills his milk, what do you do? Slap him in the head? He calls him a tight ass. Yeah. Dell says, how would you like a mouthful of teeth? Oh, oh. violent, too. Yeah. What a combination. <laughs> and then, and then he, you know, Dell let him pay for it because he thought that would make him feel better. That's a lie. That's what I was going to ask. That that really goes to your earlier point. Yes. Yeah. Dell takes advantage of situations yeah. like a child. He does. Well, who told you to book a room? I did out of the goodness of my dumb old heart. Boy, you're an ungrateful jackass. Well, go ahead. Sleep in the lobby. See if I care. I hope you wake up so stiff you can't even move. And then Mar- Neil just destroy, And it goes on and on and on. 
I mean, didn't you, didn't you notice on the plane when you started talking, eventually I started reading the vomit bag? Didn't that give you some sort of clue, like, hey, maybe this guy's not enjoying it? You know, everything is not an anecdote. You have to discriminate. You choose things that are, that are funny or, or mildly amusing or interesting. You're a miracle. Your stories have none of that. They're not even amusing accidentally. Honey, I'd, li I'd like you to meet Del Griffith. He's got some amusing anecdotes for you. Oh, and here's a gun so you can blow your brains out. You'll thank me for it. <sighs> I, I, I could tolerate any, any insurance seminar. For days, I could sit there and listen to them go on and on with a big smile on my face. They'd say, how can you stand it? And I'd say, because I've been with Del Griffith. I can take anything. That's why the scene works, Steve. Because... John Candy, Del Griffith does not come back at him. It does not become an argument no. between both of them. Initially, he puts up resistance because he gets out. Of, he, he, when the lights turn on, initially, Del Griffith is mad or upset and so takes his shots at Neil. And then Neil shoots, like he shoots at Del in a way to destroy him. As opposed to have a back and forth, Neil goes to the core of who Dell is as a human being. And that's what he destroys him at. And that's why Dell stops. Like he can't retort that because he's probably heard that before from a number of people, probably his wife. Well, and we see the reaction shots from John Candy. Oh, man. And the pain. Fantastic acting, dude. Really, really good acting. Yep. And Neil does not see it. Not until. It takes a while. Yes. It takes a while. And and this is the thing that we'll see from Steve Martin's character, which is that controlled, 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 explode. He's a tea kettle yeah. the whole time. And it just, it, there's all that pressure in him. He's holding it in, holding mm -hmm. it in, holding it in. And then it comes out in this completely horrible, awful way. Yeah. And then Dell comes back with, You want to hurt me? Go right ahead if it makes you feel any better. I'm an easy target. Yeah, you're right. I talk too much. I also listen too much. I could be a cold-hearted cynic like you. But I don't like to hurt people's feelings. Well, you think what you want about me. I'm not changing. I like, I like me. My wife likes me. My customers like me. Because I'm the real article. What you see is what you get. Oh, it's so good. It's a great line fantastic delivery you can see the tears in his eyes and yes his wife likes him i mean that's that retort is like so powerful and steve and then he turns around and gets back into bed but what is he doing steve martin is sitting there feeling guilty about the whole situation yeah by the way i love the chatty kathy line that's just fucking brilliant but like steve and this is what great the movie does or what's great about the movie is you have this shot where you're looking at steve martin and you tell you can tell that he's feeling terrible about the, the back and forth and then you have this quick shot of dell and dell is looking over his shoulder as if, like a child, are you going to come back to the bed and make me feel better? He is a child throughout the whole movie. Oh, yeah. The, the, the quick look he takes over his shoulder is to make sure if Neil is paying attention to the fact that Dell has gotten back in bed and what he said has worked on Neil because he does not want to stop being friends with him. He does not want him to leave the room. It's so I'm so glad, because uh, you know this movie so much better I than I do, is that I... I think you're a hundred percent right, and I didn't see all those details watching it. Yeah, I really didn't. But this is, is why that I love the manipulation the movie. of is that because I was seeing all of 
Steve Martin's stuff. Of course. But but the Dell, like, I didn't think about that look back, but you are 100% right. He is manipulating him passive-aggressively. I need you to now come comfort me. Right. Huh. But he's not a bad person. It's just the way he's built. <laughs> well, right? That's they're, the thing. they're both troubling people. Sure, sure. I don't think they're, yes, they're both troubling people. They're not bad people. No, I don't no, no, think no. any of them are committing no. crime. He's got a beautiful or, wife, great kid. She obviously I, I loves him. He loves his kids. Right, he loves, loves his, his wife. Yeah. I think Dell loved his wife. I yes, Dell does change, very much care so. about his characters, yeah. uh, his customers, all that stuff. But <laughs> there's some. They're just fucked up. Yeah, I mean, they're just they're fucked, fucked up people. people. Um. All right. All right. In the middle of the night, this robber comes. <laughs> Robert steals all their money. By the way, you're skipping over the masturbation, but okay. There's masturbation? What? Steve Morris. Before, when he gets back into the bed, Del Griffith turns on the vibrating thing and starts to... Oh, no, actually, not before he gets back into bed. It's before he does the sinus thing. Del Griffith is reading the novel again, the salacious novel he was reading in the airport. And then he he starts. You hear this, and that's him masturbating. Okay, I got to go back and look at the scene. <laughs> you really do. <laughs> so, l- listen, we try on the cinephiles to really know of a movie. Of course, of course, of course. I didn't miss that. <laughs> no, you, Maybe because I'm sitting next to my son. You try to really son. know the movie really, really well. <laughs> Every once in a while, I know a movie a little bit more than you do, but only well, this because one, I've seen it a million times. This one clearly. Yes. All right. But anyway, yep, so there's, there's a litany of things that Del Griffith does in that bed that causes Steve Martin to blow up yeah. like he does. So like, so anyway, yeah. So and by, anyway. by the way, had I known that, yeah. it makes Steve Martin getting out of that bed much. But that is not. Of so, course. So, you know, like the difference in knuckle cracking and sinus clearing yeah. is an entirely different level of someone masturbating right. in the bed next to me. Right. Someone masturbates in a bed next to me. I'm getting out of that bed. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I hope I'm getting the chronology right. I think it's either 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 before he jumps out of the bed or it's after he gets to bed. Neil feels comfortable or uh, Adele feels comfortable. Neil's back in a bed. I think they go to sleep pretty starts, quick. Okay. I think they All go right. to sleep pretty quick. And then but they wake now, up. now we'll, we'll have to check. And then they wake up. <laughs> and then they wake up. <laughs> oh, one of the best, <laughs> best wake ups in any film ever. Song is back in baby's arm. I'm back in baby's arm. Del, Del snuggling up. He's him, his ear. Gives him a little very sweet kiss. It's a very, very sweet kiss on the ear. Um, and uh, oh god, the, I love the pan across the two bodies yes. as we get up. And by the way, they had to do that over and over again because they kept they kept breaking up. Of course. I mean, it is <laughs> and. Steve Martin opens his eyes, this very slow realization, asks, Del, oh. Oh. why did you kiss my ear? Why are you holding my hand? Where's your other hand? Between two pillows. Those aren't pillows. So... Great. This is one of the great, uncomfortable, awkward moments in film. Yes. I also think about the physics of it is that it's like John Kenny's a big guy. He is. And to get your hand, you have one hand wrapped around someone Mm -hmm. and the other hand's going to go underneath and up. That seems tough. And which hand masturbated? Oh, Jesus. (laughs) There's so much here, Steve. So when they, by the way, my friend, my best friend, uh, we've spoken about him in in the heat of night, Maurice Jones. Mm -hmm. He's the city manager of Charlottesville, Virginia. This is something we we always use these lines with each other playfully. Like we always, uh, hey, I, sometimes I will text him. I go, uh, the bears have, the bears got a hell of a team. This hell, year. Of a team. hell of a team. Hell of a team. <laughs> That's right. 
pseudo kind of that's that kind of which is so funny when you have initially when they walk in the room they have the uncomfortable joke about are you going to shower with shower, me yeah. yeah right then you when you come later they really get their comeuppance in this scene where they have to like do this whole thing of like oh, oh we're not establish gay we're not our, gay establish our masculinity yeah right it's funny it's so I, primal i really hope Maybe that's gone. Maybe that is anachronistic now. Okay. And I, I I don't know. I like the humor of it. Oh, it's hilarious. I'm saying that, that again, like yeah. 25-year-olds would look at this oh, and yeah. go, go, what's the big deal? Right. I, I, wouldn't I hope not. I, well, I hope that the movie is still funny. Okay. But I also hope that this issue of pr- proving your lack of gayness, which was something oh, sure. that we grew up with, sure, sure, sure. Not, it doesn't exist anymore. All right. Um. <laughs> I hope for a lot of peace on earth. And, I, yeah, all yeah. of that. Sure, yeah. sure, sure. <laughs> uh, so we have that moment. We you can't have comedy with peace on earth, though. That is a f- well, and fortunately, fortunately or unfortunately, we also can't have peace on earth. That's right. So that's not that's not happening. <laughs> okay, go ahead. Uh, we can we can improve. Sure, but there's always going to be stuff to that are horrible that we can make fun of. Uh, we have that moment that you talked about where his wife goes, you stayed in a motel with a stranger yes. at the airport. Yeah, uh, and now we're sitting at a diner. Steve says, "I'm going to fly standby." That's it's not going to work. We have to stop for a second. Yeah. Because he goes back into that bathroom yeah. after having that interaction. Oh, yeah, you're right. And he sees Dell's socks have been sitting. Well, no, first he's washing his face. Right. He's washing his face. And then he sees, and then he looks down and sees Dell's socks have been sitting in the, the, the sink. Uh, sink. And Dell yells at him and says, hey, if you see my socks and this, will you pull well, them out before you brush your teeth? First, he wipes his face with the underwear. With the and underwear. Then, and That's then right. Dell says, if you see my socks in the sink. Um, anyway, just great. Again, that's but this is the thing. So we uh, dun, dun, dun. Spo- spoiler alert. Okay. Uh, what we discover? Should I spoil the end of the movie right now? No, no, no. Okay. There are things about Dell's life that explain a little bit about why he does this. Yes, is that the way he's been living? Yeah, makes this make a lot of sense. Right. Of course yeah. it does. All right. So we're back in the diner. We're in the diner. Uh, Neil goes to pay his bill. Opens up his wallet. His all his money is gone. Right. Who the fuck carries $700 in their wallet? Back then they did, I guess. <sighs> that is a lot of money carrying yeah. around. I mean, but what? they didn't have bank cards back then or ATMs? Sure they did. 87? Not in 87? Oh, yeah. ATMs? Yeah. All right. Well, look, so maybe we should check this as well. Yes. But my memory is that, 80, it is that ATMs were like the 83, 84. Wow. That is my memory of them. Okay. But I'm not, a, I'm not 100% sure on this. Fair. If we were the ATM file. Or the Finance Files right. podcast, we would know better. Um, I would not be on the Finance Files podcast. <laughs> that would not be your show. No. Me neither. I would be um, a student. I would not be the, and what does he think? What's the first thing he thinks when all his money's gone? He thinks that Dell has stolen the money. Right. Yeah. Uh, and Dell, Dell says, here, look at my wallet. Yeah. It's also empty. And, and which to me is like, like you're going to put the money in your wallet? Right. But then they believe, like, we've been robbed. We were robbed. Do you think so? Yeah, you think so? Yeah, <laughs> that's a great. Like that's the that's a Steve Martin. That's not Neil yeah. Page. That's Steve Martin. Gee, yeah. do you think so? That's a Steve Martin, his, which I love. <laughs> the Steve Martin jerk voice, not the voice from the right, movie, the jerk, right? But him being an ass is awesome. Yeah, it's just really funny. And we talk about the credit cards we have, and we're gonna go out. Where are they heading now? Are they heading to the? Train? They're getting yes. the train. Yeah. The train. And so uh Gus, the guy who owns the motel, his son is gonna come pick them up in a I truck. Think so yeah. Yeah. Truck pulls up. This is a great character entrance. Dylan Baker. Dylan Baker. Who you, you see seen, him in everything. Yes. Yeah. In a million things. A million things. This is the first thing I ever saw him in, and I will always remember the 
That's just brilliant. That, <laughs> that noise. Was really good. That's what, I've always been able to do that noise. When I saw him do that, I was like, oh, I got to learn how to do that. Well, and this is this thing that we've seen with the cab driver. We've seen with, yes. with Ben Stein is that every supporting character is an opportunity to do some comedy. Yeah. Like we're not going to. And this is, I was say it relates a lot to what we saw in No Country for Old Men with the Cone Brothers. Yeah. Is that every supporting character is going to be this fascinating, interesting slice of that person. Right. And this guy, Dylan Baker, man. He's so good. And his wife? Yeah, his wife. Whew. She don't mind. She's short and skinny, but she's strong. She gets out. When she slams the door, I love that. Well, because he says, get your lazy behind out here and put that trunk up up in the back. Right. Now, that's uncomfortable. And you're like, oh, my God, he's a horrible, abusive person. And, and Steve Martin and and, and uh, John Candy feel that way, too. Because they're yeah. like, oh, no, 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 we'll take we'll the... We'll take, take it. Yeah. But then the way she gets out of the Woo! truck says that, no, no, she 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 can put that truck up in the back. And I love what he said. Like, she, her first baby came out sideways. She didn't <laughs> scream or nothing. <laughs> <laughs> Once again, yep. that's that Midwest thing yep. versus the prissy, you know. Yeah. We're in the back of the truck. Oh, <laughs> There's a dog in the hay. That's so great. Have you been in the back of a truck or in sure. a convertible on a really, really cold day? Yes. It is cold. Yeah. It is cold. I used to have a convertible. The wind does not help. No, no. no. And, the, and there's a great <laughs> shot of, the, of them after, faces frozen. <laughs> <laughs> the it's dog. a stage shot, but I love it. Well, this is where, like, like we you said, like this movie is realistic, yeah. and it's like, well, it pushes it yeah. to a silly place. Sure, sure. But it's <laughs> this is the movie we're in. It yeah. totally, totally works. Um, we get to the train station. Uh, Steve Martin, Neil has gotten a tickets. He says they didn't have two together. Yeah, lie, lie, maybe. We don't, we don't get to know if it's right. a lie. I think it's a lie. Well, John Candy gives him the out too by yeah. saying, "Oh, Joe Griffith rather says, you know, like, oh, she's she was a new girl. I told her I thought she understood. Blah blah blah." So he plays it up too, but he thinks that they're still going to see each other afterwards. Right, he wants blah, to get blah. his address and right, and he says, "Oh, the ticket's a gift. Happy holidays." And this is Steve Martin trying to end it on a nice note. He does he does this numerous times yeah. in the movie. Like yeah. I'm, I'm. Uh, let's just be nice about it. Yeah. I, I don't want to be, but I don't want to hurt your feelings. Right. I mean, he already did enough to do that the night before. Right. And he gets to the train. What surprised me when he gets in the train is that the first thing he does is he talks to the person sitting next to him <laughs> because he's amongst his own people. He, she's he's not his people. Well, she's in a situation. She doesn't. She's like, what, what does he? What does he say to her? Uh, I don't remember. Okay, he says something says that's something like small talk, but it's not. But it's small talk. It's yeah. not like, oh God, my dogs are barking or anything. Right. He's communicating she's he sees she's reading a book that's like not a cd book and so she he feels a kinship and maybe even because he's a dad he feels even more because she's young yeah Yeah, the thought that i had and i don't know if this is true is that maybe dell has gotten his hooks into him a little bit and that there's something that he goes certainly possible subconsciously like oh i actually kind of liked yeah talking to someone maybe I don't know. It's an odd. It's an odd moment. They both change each other. That's for sure. There's no question about it. Yeah. Uh, and then, of course, the train breaks down. Of course, it does. S- Steve Martin's reaction shots throughout the whole film are fantastic. Yeah, like he is such a good reactor. <laughs> um, and we get out of the train, and Dell has grabbed his trunk. We know that it's like a mile. You got to walk. Right. Uh, I've been in this situation too. I've been in the train that breaks down, and you got to go walk across. The really? Earth. Yeah. Oh, I've never been in that. I twice. Once wow. when I was a little kid in Alaska on a family trip, Holy a train shit. broke down, and we had to walk across a long thing to right. get to some place to wait. Uh, and another time on a on another trip, right. where it's like, oh, there was another train coming to pick us up, and we had to walk out and go find the other train. Yeah. Um, so anyway, uh, and there's this moment where. Steve sees Dell dragging the trunk. Yep. 
Dell sees that Steve has seen him dragging the trunk. What does he do? And what are you going to do? Yeah, he makes that face like, oh, this is really hard. Oh, could you use some help? <laughs> well, and it is really hard. I mean, like, and he could use sure, some help. Sure, if you say so. But you, you know, you've chosen to have a trunk. Yeah, it's your fucking, yeah, you made a choice. That trunk is not uh, easy to travel with. If we could get even more sinister about the movie, does he do this constantly? Does he bring this trunk on purpose? Oh, shit. I read a theory once that his wife's remains are in the trunk. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> and he takes her with him wherever he goes. And it's, I mean, in ashes. I don't mean like her body and shit. <laughs> I just mean that that's why the trunk is so important. It's like it's like uh, uh, Marcellus Wallace's briefcase. We never mm-hmm. see it. We do see it open. We never see what's in there. We never see what's in Del Griffith's right. trunk. Now it's got a real... Cr- Someone should cut a uh, scary trailer. Yes. A horror movie a serial killer trailer. <laughs> Get some Silence of the Lambs music. Um, yeah, uh, we get to the Jefferson City bus tra- Steve station. Steve does not want to help him, but does anyway. I know. Does not want to, but he knows he's got no choice. You get, you have to. I would too. Yeah. At that point, you have to help him. Right. You can't not help him. Right. Um, and Dell is a great moment of to, as they're waiting for the bus. You ever traveled by bus before? <laughs> <laughs> Your mood's not going to improve much. So I was going to ask you this. Yeah. So far, we've traveled on planes. I know you've traveled on planes. Yes. Have you traveled on trains? Yes. Have you traveled by bus? Yes. Yeah, I, I, but, but the, I've only traveled, I think, twice on an actual Greyhound bus. Bus is the fucking worst, man. Yeah. In other countries, it's, it's not so bad. It can be nice. Too. Yeah. But Greyhound bus in the United States, I love trains. Mm-hmm. You, like an Amtrak train, that sounds great. When I was in the military serving in, uh, in Augusta, I would sneak out on the weekends. Uh, did it twice because there was a girl I was seeing in Virginia at the time. I think her name was Hope Ann Jones. Jesus, I can't believe I still remember that. But I shout out Hope Jones. Shout out to Hope Ann Jones. I drove. I took a train or a bus rather from Georgia to Virginia. It took a day just to see her for half a day, and then got back on another wow. bus that night and roll all the way. So I would not be late for uh, the Monday morning uh, roll call when you right. come out on. So yeah, it was. That's how much I loved her at the time, man. Um, Craziness. Yeah, bu- and traveling by bus is nuts because anything can happen. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Dell is eating, and they do this thing which they do, which again is what I'm paranoid about. Yeah, is that Dell is overcrowding Steve Martin in right. this horrible way. But he's got the window seat this time. <laughs> he does have the window seat. <laughs> There's a couple making out, and we have the "Why don't you take a picture? It'll last longer." I was trying to find out: is the first one of those Pee Wee's Big Adventure? I think so. Yeah. In film, at least. That's the only first one, because now it's a thing. It's yeah. just a, a quote that happens all the time. We start singing songs. Steve Martin comes up with a song. I have one. He has three coins in a fountain. It's so sad. Once again. he tried, But he tried. I guess. He tried. He, he just, didn't understand. He can't read the room, man. Yeah, you got to be able to read the room. Yeah. And I would, I, you know, I would sing the Flintstones song. Sure. It's great. Of course. Who doesn't like the Flintstones? Uh and we get to St. Louis, and uh, Dell has a great plan to make some money. How do you do, man? My name is Dell Griffith. I'm with the American Light and Fixture Company, Jewelry Division, and I've got the deal of a lifetime for you. Do you have a minute? He's a good salesman. He really is. <laughs> Selling some shower rings. I love the Daryl Strawberry signature. <laughs> I like they're filled Earring. with helium, so they're very light. <laughs> very light, yeah. It's very funny. Oh, and then they go and... They have dinner. Right. They have a meal. Right. Well, Steve calls home, and there's the, like the Thanksgiving pageant, so he doesn't reach. Yeah. Then we end up having our meal, which I'm assuming Dell has uh, paid for. Paid for, right? And uh, Steve has this moment, or Neil has this moment of, you know, uh, I've been thinking that uh, when we put our heads together, you know, we really, 
We've really gotten nowhere. And that's and I watching it again for this podcast, which damn right I was gonna watch it again for this podcast. I love that movie so much. John Candy's reaction is just as powerful here as it is in the room. In the room, yeah. Every time Steve tries to... And this is a breakup conversation. Absolutely. I've had this conversation. I've been on both sides of this conversation. It's terrible. It's a breakup conversation. And you can tell he is so hurt by what Steve Martin is doing, by what yeah. Neil is saying to him, because he thinks they've gotten really far together, uh, and Steve and Neil does not agree in any way, shape, or form. And that really hurts Del Griffin. Well, and more than that, he thinks they're friends. Yes, good point. And Neil does not. Man. No, I really think we'll get to where we're going a lot faster if uh, we were alone. Okay. Okay. I see. I think uh, I'm just going to take care of this, and I think I'm going to get going. I appreciate that. Yeah, that's fine. You know, it's just harder for two people to travel, you know? Yeah, yeah, sure it is. And if you've got reservations. Yeah, yeah, I know what you're saying. His yas are everything. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, yeah, yeah, yeah. I get it. Yeah, yeah. It's a way of protecting himself. Yep. And, and I ask you this one too: Have you had a Have you had a situation where someone thinks they're your friend, or or at a higher level of your friend, when in fact yes. they're not? Sure. Yes. That's tough. Mm-hmm. That's a tough one. Mm-hmm. And I and I think I I know I've been on one side of it, and I yeah. think I've been. I'm, I'm assuming I've been on both sides of it. Yeah. You know, it's not easy to say to someone. I like you, but I don't like you. Right. You know, it's not easy to say someone says, Hey, do you want to hang out? And you're kind of like, not really. Yeah. That's really hard to do. And Steve is trying to his credit to do it in a nice way. It's, but it's, there's no nice way to do it. And John Candy's reaction, Dell's reaction is, is, is so great. The whole scene of getting out of there and him like, here, take some money. It's, it's Neil's refusing the money. No, just take them. We'll just leave the money here and yeah. all that stuff. And then he steps up, you know, he steps out. He, his sweater is un, unkempt and he picks up the briefcase, shook his hand or something. And then Steve Martin, because he knows he's doing the wrong thing the whole time. He And even at the end, he tries to make himself feel, feel better by saying, I'll see you. And as Del Griffith's right. about to exit frame, he says, yeah, I'm sure you will. Sure you will, rather. Sure you will. Which I don't is, know. So do you think Steve, I think Steve, so this is where you go okay. into like, when do you leave? I actually think Steve Martin is doing the right thing. You do? I wow. do. Well, just not not the right thing in hurting this guy's feelings. That's the wrong right, thing. Right, right, right. But but like you're with this person. It's been torturous mm-hmm. saying, I don't want to be with this person anymore. I want to get home. And it's, it hasn't gone well. But look at the circumstance. You're doing it just as he sold all these shower curtain exactly. rings. To- he shouldn't have sat down to dinner. Exactly. Yeah, that's he shouldn't the, have sat down to dinner. That's doing the wrong thing. Right. Is that the he minute took they the got, free meal. The minute they got to St. Louis, he should have said, if you're in a big city, yeah. you have a credit card in your pocket, at least you think you do. You think you do. <laughs> you know, is that, is that you, you just... Go somewhere else, right? You know, right? Um, just like go, hey, thanks, it's been great. I I got a friend, I got a brother who lives yeah. over in down the street in St. Louis. I'm right. gonna go do that. We'll see you later. Exchange, give me your address. Who cares? Sure, you know, and leave. But you sit down to dinner and then break up with him. Not cool. That's the worst. That's, ladies and gentlemen, if you're listening to us, don't go to dinner with someone on their dime to break up with them. Agreed. Agreed. <sighs> Not cool. Yeah. If you're going to break up, you should pay. Just break up. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, so Steve goes out to pick up his rental car. How did he rent the rental car? Oh, that's a good question. Because he doesn't have a credit card. Yeah. I think. I, I'm, I'm a little, because I'm a little confused. The credit card, he has the diner's club 
card. Yeah. Away. But he also mentions a visa. So he has a visa. So then. he has the visa. Right. Okay. So he rents it. So he's going to pick up his rental car because yeah. the rental car is not there. The bus drives away. Oh. His freak out. Full meltdown. It is so. Nobody could do this like Steve Martin. Nope. That is a Steve Martin patented freak out. Yes. It's fantastic. Absolutely. And I love it. It's so good. And he's throwing things, and and you you get one of my because I still I have the soundtrack still, and <laughs> I and I love it because it's that you're messing with the wrong yeah, guy. Yeah, <laughs> that whole like, which is what he used in Ferris Bueller's Day Off. I think it's the same uh, yellow, whatever it is. Those people who did the oh, oh yeah. yeah yeah that thing. So it's the same people, and they do I didn't that. realize that was yellow. Yeah, um, and he he does one terribly stupid thing which is he throws the rental agreement yes and then the bus goes away now i know and you know that the bus comes back every 10 15 minutes by the way the guy driving the bus is one of the actors in the club in weird science oh yeah because he's like you're right and this is again you know who it is yeah it's also i think it's the same voice as the guy in the dump truck at the beginning of terminator that we just did oh it might be yeah certainly i think this is that yeah it's that kind of voice (laughs) um and uh and then he does which I, I have done this too, which is the, I see the place I'm supposed to go to. Oh. I'll just walk there yeah. and not realizing that there's like a drainage ditch, a bridge, yeah. a fence between you. And you get, you, you're like, it seemed like a good plan. Airports are the worst thing to walk to, man. And then you get halfway through and you're like, oh, do I go back a half a mile or do I climb this fence? Right. Not knowing what's going to happen. Now, of course, it all goes wrong down yeah. the hill, through the snow, through the water, <laughs> over the river, through the woods, through yeah. the runway. He finally gets back <laughs> and his entrance back into the terminal with the tie wrapped around his head, his face all bruised up, his shoes all messed up, and he's oh. waiting in line for Edie McClure. Yeah. Oh, Jean Marie, you're a stitch. <laughs> No, Mom's going to do the turkey. Yeah, Dad wants ambrosia, so I guess we got to get those miniature marshmallows. And I'll do the crescent rolls, and you do the cranberry. You know I can't cook. <laughs> She's special. Yeah. She is such a special voice, hilarious character. Yep. Uh, and the thing on the phone, that's improv. That's, uh, that's Of course it is. The Thanksgiving thing is improv. She's talking to herself. And this is... a version of herself. Someone talking in the phone and smiling and giggling when you're when there's a long line of people. Yeah, that is not cool. Nope. Personal calls not, at the job are not cool. Not cool, yeah. particularly when there's a line. Right. And particularly on a holiday weekend when right. flights have been canceled, you should not be doing that. Right. How Steve Martin treats her is terrible. It the the explosion that comes out of him, and this is why it has an R rating. Yeah. There's nothing else in the movie that would give it an R rating. Nope. It's just like twenty three fucks in a row or something like that. It is. Amazing. Welcome to Marathon. May I help you? Yes. How may I help you? You can start by wiping that fucking dumbass smile off your rosy fucking cheeks. Then you can give me a fucking automobile, a fucking Datsun, a fucking Toyota, a fucking Mustang, a fucking Buick, four fucking wheels and a seat. I really don't care for the way you're speaking to me. And I really don't care for the way your company left me in the middle of fucking nowhere with fucking keys to a fucking car that isn't fucking there. And I really didn't care to fucking walk down a fucking highway and across a fucking runway to get back here to have you smile at my fucking face. I want a fucking car right fucking now. 
and then there's a long pause and she starts scratching her head with the with the yeah. pen um and she asks for the rental agreement he says i threw it away yeah. oh boy oh boy what you're fucked perfect response it's perfect and does the whole oh the fake sympathy and then demolishes it yeah it's brilliant yeah. which is which is the correct response to I the agree. irate customer at that moment Absolutely. someone who treats you like that regardless of her being on the phone right nobody treats it should treat anyone like I that agree. he goes back outside he's trying to get a, a a cab or a car or something yeah and and he's still pissed still pissed hasn't learned the lesson of nope. not being an asshole to people who can help you because i gotta get a car where are you trying to go chicago is it, you ever try the airlines you get a you get a free meal and he says to him if i wanted a joke i'd follow you into the john and watch you take a leak and the the face change yeah. is so powerful and he says so are you gonna help me you're gonna stand there like a slab of meat with mittens on and he punches the shit out of Neil, yep. which he has deserved yep. since the beginning of the movie a nice good punching well, and this is because because this is the thing about Neil, which is, and it's why you can never get behind either of these people. No, is that the stewardess on the plane? Yeah, the, none of these people deserve your abuse, right? You know, like that, De- like Dell, maybe a little bit, sure, but not this guy. You just walked up to this guy, he made right. a joke, it gets knocked into the middle of the street, car runs up, almost hits him in the head. Second time he's almost been run over. Yeah, who's in the car? <laughs> Del Griffin. What I what I love is as you see Steve Martin falling in the street. In the background, you see Dell driving the car like a maniac. He is going left to right, and then then rolls in because he is trying to get out of that airport as best as oh, quick I didn't as he notice can. That, you was, can yeah. see it. You yeah, can see, it. and he hilarious. just goes. He just and he almost slides up and hits Steve Martin's head. Yeah. So and they go, uh, you know, help me get him into the car, <laughs> <laughs> which he does apparently by his crotch, uh, uh, and. And we're in the car. I've never seen a guy picked up by his testicles before. (laughs) (laughs) And Steve Martin, of course, has helium voice, which I think we've discussed on the politics on on the podcast before. It's not realistic. Nobody talks like that after getting hit in the balls. (laughs) Okay, fair. I've never gone like this. Yeah. Mostly go, oh. Have you ever been grabbed and held in the ball and then dragged up into a car? No. Let's see what happens after that. I've been kicked pretty hard. Oh, yeah. Jumping, spinning sidekick in the balls while I was doing a jumping crescent kick oh yeah no thanks i was the whole world went white <laughs> that was just really was bad like, oh yeah <laughs> okay so we're in the car yes and uh later that night john K- steve is now driving john candy's adjusting his seat <laughs> this goes on a long time and it's very funny oh, great physical comedy and the funniest one is where somehow he adjusts the seat left to right yeah which that doesn't happen in any adjustable seat steve martin thinks he's gonna break it um and again, they go like, leave the shoes on. And it's, oh, it must be so perfect to be so perfect and odor free. <laughs> and then we get, and now John Candy has to come up with something to insult Steve Martin about, right. or insert new page about. And it's um, <laughs> that he plays with his balls a lot. Okay, you know the movie really well. Have yeah. you seen him play with his balls? No, not once to <laughs> the whole movie. If anyone played with his balls, it's it's Dale Griffin. And he says, and Neil says, you know what I want? He says, another set of balls and an extra set of fingers. <laughs> That's great. That's hilarious. I love that and the line about Bird. Larry Bird doesn't play with his balls. <laughs> Doesn't, doesn't doesn't do as much ball handling as you do, yeah. which is brilliant. Uh, <laughs> later on, we've switched again. Steve yeah. Barnes like you broke the seats. It slams him up in the windshield again. The physics. I don't think that's actually possible. Okay, but it's still really it's really funny. Yeah, it's just. Um, and uh, he says, "I would remind me, I'm putting my wallet in the glove compartment." <laughs> 
Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> That's like you're in a horror movie and you say, uh, just, I'll be right back. I'm going to go to <laughs> right. the closet by myself. Right. Or a war movie. Goes, <laughs> Can't like, wait to get back. First thing I'm going to yeah. do is have a steak. Yeah. Blam, headshot. One more day till my retirement. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> just don't, don't put your wallet in. You know what kind of movie you're in? Um, yeah. Uh, and then uh, he goes to sleep and, man, Dell puts on, you know, we got some music playing. He's playing The Mess Around. Yeah. Ray Charles. Love that song. Ah, you can talk about the pit. Barbecue. The band was jumping. The people too. Ah, mess around. John Candy's performance in this song of singing and dancing and eyes closed playing the piano on the dashboard yes. and the saxophone. He's having a grand old time. It is hilarious. Apparently, Neil Page is a very deep sleeper. Because again, this goes into this is not cool. Yeah, John Candy, don't do this. Yes. Uh, and while he's doing this, his one sleeve gets caught on the <sighs> on the chair. Yeah. And then the other sleeve gets caught. I've had th- I haven't had this happen. I've had things like this happen while driving. Yeah. Like I had I taken my shoes off and I had my shoe get caught under the brake. Oh shit! And I was like, okay, you know, and having to go, like, how do I get that shoe out from under there? Which right. I did. Um, but never to the extent of both arms trapped. Yeah. Driving with your legs. <laughs> That's insane. Yeah. I've had struggles taking my jacket off while I'm driving, certainly, but nothing that got caught. Yeah. But there is a fear. There's that fear. Especially since the yeah. movie. I have this fear every once in a while. <laughs> You had to well. Don't play the mess around. Yes, that's really the solution. That's right. Anyway, and he's smoking cigarettes and throws out a cigarette, which ends up in the back seat. So we know <sighs> that's coming. Um, finally, with some huge effort, takes the park off, spins the car out off of an exit ramp, of which Steve Martin sort of gradually wakes up. Hey, well, what's going on? Yeah. <laughs> oh, we almost hit a deer. <laughs> he says, "Oh, well, you should take that park off. It's getting hot in here." <laughs> <I'm> here. <laughs> Uh, they get back on the road the wrong way. Yeah. We got a little cut of some trucks coming. And then this is something I quoted for years. Oh, yeah. The people on the other road going, you're going the wrong way. And they say, how would he know where we're going? <laughs> <laughs> yep. Joking all, they're drunk. And then suddenly, there are the trucks. <laughs> this is what sets the film apart for me. These little sequences. They're great. They're just so funny, man. They go through the two trucks, and he they see them in skeleton form, right? Screaming, and then you see Del Griffith turn into the devil. Neil, Neil, Neil sees, sees Del, Griffith. Del Griffith turn into the devil because that's how he thinks of Del, Del Griffith is essentially the devil Satan in his mind. Point, yeah. He's trying to kill him. He's trying to kill him. We, sl- we, we, we get through uh, the trucks. We yeah. slam on the brakes. The trunk goes flying, and. We're in the aftermath, and we have the fingernails dug into the steering oh, wheel. Great stuff. It's really funny. We go off to, you know, and again, Dell goes to pick up the stuff. Hey, mm-hmm. and, and again, Neil has to go help him because yeah. you have to. <laughs> um, Dell tries to laugh it off. Well, we survive. We should laugh. That is totally me, by the way. <laughs> oh, yeah. And when, when things go horribly wrong, yeah. the first, I'll, I'm the, I'll just start laughing. And it is not always appreciated. No, I'm sure it is. A lot of people are, like, still in the moment. I'm like, yeah. well, we... We're through it, and because yeah. to me it instantly becomes a great story. You know that's my that's how my brain works. Fair. Um, a lot of people I've been with, it's like, how, yeah. stop. We're I've got to mourn what just happened. <laughs> I can't wait till you, you're a POW and you come out after a year with other POWs. And you, well, we survived that. And that <laughs> I, I don't <laughs> know. It was insane. Let's that hope, dysentery. Let's, let's hope we never have to discover it. Yeah, let's hope. <laughs> um, so uh, they sit down on the trunk. And I love that they're backlit by the flickering yeah. flames of the fire first. <laughs> so the audience is ahead of them on the joke. Dell looks, then looks back. Right. 
Neil looks, no reaction. Then they both look. Now they're both laughing. Yeah. And I love that Neil's reaction is, you finally did it to yourself. Good luck turning the car in. And then he says, wait, how did you rent the car? You didn't have a credit card. And here, now, this what, is your point. Yeah, what does Dell say? He lies through he his lies. fucking teeth. He oh, says, he gave her yeah. some curtain, shower curtain rings. Right. You can't rent a car with shower curtain rings, Dell. <laughs> well, uh, somehow your uh, diner's club card wound up in my wallet. And I uh, just... You stole it! Not exactly! You stole it! No, I swore my life! I knew you stole it! I did not steal your car! And then you rented a car! And then you burned it up! I did not! I found it in my wallet! I knew you stole it! I thought you put it there! Why would I put it there? Kindness? And this is is where I totally agree with you. He's known this for the whole time. The whole time. Well, he says, I thought you were just being nice to me. That's a lie. That's bullshit. And, And the thing is, is that's a crime. Yes. You just stole money from Neil. Yeah. You know, and, and yeah, that that's where we push it to a different place. But of course, what did he do? He put the credit card back in the wallet. Where is the wallet mm-hmm. in the car that's on fire? And this is essential for him to put the credit card back because that is a move of a guy who didn't want 100% steal it. So that's the thing about Dell. You can't 100% hate him because he does take advantage of situations, but he always tries to make it right or make amends in his clumsy, ham-handed way that he can. And that's why you can't 100% hate him. Same thing, but Neil is such an a-hole that when he has the card switched or whatever, you don't 100% feel bad for Neil either because he's such an a-hole. It's kind of yeah. a weird kind of karmic justice. So No, absolutely. Well, that's yeah. the thing. It's like we are we are with each of these characters at various times of the movie. Yeah. We are against each of these characters at various times of the movie. We feel they got what they deserved at various times of the movie, yeah. and we feel that they've both been abused at mm-hmm. various times of the movie. Mm-hmm. And, and the thing about Dell, which is like, we have certainly known people, you and I know people in yeah. common that are very naturally taking advantage of a situation that yeah. they're in yeah. and probably aren't really aware of a lot of it. Yeah. You know, they just kind of go through life Yeah, and they go, well, this, you know, and they don't, they wouldn't consider themselves a bad person for no. taking advantage of those situations. Right. Um, <laughs> so then... <laughs> the smoking car pulls oh, into the motel. So great. And, and this is what the movie does. It subtly pushes what reality is. Because mm-hmm. apparently still burning. Their hands are sucked <laughs> into the melting dashboards. They step out of the smoking, just bare metal sh- uh, seats. <laughs> they get in the motel. He tries to pay with his major credit cards that are all burnt. It's mm-hmm. a funny bit. Yeah. Pulls out his $17 and his probably extremely expensive watch. Yep. Um, to get a room, he leaves. Dell pulls out his two dollars and tries to sell that Casio, <laughs> and he ends up sitting in the car yeah. in the snow. And we have another moment like we had in the hotel room, yeah, where this moment of reflection, and he says, "Well, Marie, once again, my dear, you are as right as rain. I am, without a doubt, the biggest pain in the butt that ever came down the pike. I meet someone whose company I really enjoy." What do I do? I go overboard. I smother the poor soul. He and he has accepted his fate. He's going to sit out there in that car all night with as much clothes as he can get on, so that he doesn't freeze to death and sleep out in the car. Which he, by the way, he really is going to die. Mm-hmm. I mean, like that. that it's snowing out. It yeah. is cold. Yeah. Um, and this is the one time he's not doing something for attention no. or to have Neil save him from the situation. 
He, you don't he think? has no other option. I don't think so. I don't think he's no other. Because he has that moment of self-reflection, to me, he's not doing it in a way that's manipulative. He's just sitting out there because he's accepted his fate. See, this is where I don't know. I, I kind of, okay. I, I, it's hard to say because he is sitting in the car right in front of. Yeah, he's anywhere else to sit. And where, well, I don't know. This is where I don't know. Um, because this is not a good plan. <laughs> you sure. know what I mean? Like, because this is like, you're going to die. Well, I think that's what I mean. I mean, I think he's resigned to his fate. Yeah. And I yeah. think he's going, come on, Neil. You do. I, I don't know. Okay. I don't know the answer. Right. Well, the well, this is the problem, you know, with the movie. Yeah. But and Neil's in this uh, interesting motel room with twin beds. Very mm-hmm. important because uh, it had been a single bed. I, he might have behaved slightly differently. True. Uh, and opens up the door and says, "You're going to freeze to death." And invites Neil in, and they have a really fun night. Right. It is. They laugh and they're drinking little bottles of yep. rum and tequila, and it's fun. When you strip it all down, we're men. And men have a way of like going through a shit ton of stuff together and then, but then want to have that camaraderie. They want to have that connection. And so that's why this scene feels very real, even with all the shit they've gone through. Yeah. Yeah. One thing I thought about, he does the Jamaican accent. And I think it's so interesting to have a guy who's a world-class professional comedy person have to do a joke and an accent from a character who is not a world-class professional comedy person. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah, You know what I mean? He has to do it in the right way. Yeah. And then there's this great moment where they talk about their wives and we both love our wives. And he says, Neil says to Dell, you really love her, don't you? Love is not a big enough word. It's not a big enough word for how I feel about my wife. To the wives. To the wives! That's your first kind of hint. Well, that and him in the car saying, I wish you were here right now, but I guess that's never going to happen. Yes, right. Yeah. He doesn't say never. He says not. 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 It's not going to happen. Yeah. So it, it just leaves the door open. Yeah. yeah. But I didn't suspect. I, the no, first time, first you don't time suspect I saw, the I first time you saw it. No, and that's what's a yeah. great twist in the movie. And they, they really have gone like, we're going to laugh mm-hmm. about this in the future. Which to me, I think we talked about that. I don't remember what yeah. other film, but like the great disaster on your road trip, those are the stories you tell forever. Yeah. That, that's the funny stuff. Totally. Okay. So the next day, got to push the car out. Try pushing it. Steve Martin is not a good car pusher. No, no. No, I mean, he's got like leather-soled shoes, so it's not like he's going to get any traction. And I also wonder, like, there's a guy with a lot more body mass and probably strength. <laughs> Why is he not pushing the car? Right, right. Then we say we're going to rock it. We put it in reverse, slam into the motel. <laughs> but Steve goes, let's go. Let's, let's get go. out of here. Absolutely. Yeah. Yep, love that. And uh, they well, they don't have their credit cards. They nope. probably don't have their names. <laughs> they go out driving. Uh, they're singing together. Yes, they're having a good time. And then they get pulled over by the highway patrol. Right, Michael McKean. Michael McKean. <laughs> Apparently, the scene was much bigger, and it got cut down. Oh, yeah, that's, well, that's what that's what I've heard. But I don't know what it is. Michael McKean is great. Yeah, uh, and particularly now, seeing him in Better Call Saul, he's right. He's so good. Um, uh, I love the line. Do you feel it's safe for highway traffic? <laughs> yes, I do. Yes, I do. Yes, I do. Yes, I really do. I, I, I believe that. I know it's not pretty to look at, but it'll get you where you want to go. I love how he tries to, and this speaks to his nature. He does have a good nature, even though he's childish. He has a good nature when he says, like, look, you got me. Absolutely. I, you know, you're right. But, like, I got to get this guy home. And Neil has regressed to almost a homeless person. Yeah. Right? Because he's all bundled up and he's like, ah, and he's smiling through the, the uh, yeah. dirt stains still on his fee- face and the, the overgrown beard or the, the hair growth he's got on his face. All of it, and he may, and he makes an impassioned speech. Yes, and the guy, and there's a pause, and 
No, we're impounding the no, car. No, we're impounding right. <laughs> the car gets towed. Right. Um, and uh, by the way, I looked it up. Driving from Wichita to Chicago is a 10-hour drive. Holy shit. Driving from St. Louis to Chicago is a four-hour drive. Wow. So, man, they have a long... They take five days to do this. Yes. It's a, it's a lot. Or maybe it's not five days. Yeah, it's five days. Five days. Okay. Um, all right. Car's impounded. And again, they're kind of split up. And mm. he's trying to figure out how he's going to get somewhere. And up pulls a truck. Yeah. And he says, okay, as long as we're not going to be anywhere cold, and we end up in the back of the refrigerated <laughs> truck. But the score picks, it's like a, it's an uplifting score now yes. when they're going in the truck. We're getting close. Yeah, we're getting we're close. We're genuinely getting right. close. Uh, and they make it. They make it to the train station. We're in the train station yeah. in the Chicago at the L, and they have a really nice goodbye. Finally. Yeah. A legitimately sweet goodbye. Yeah, after all said and done, you got me home. Steve's learned his lesson. Yeah. Great meeting you, Neil. It really has. Again, I'm sorry if I caused you any trouble. Oh, no, you didn't cause me any trouble. You got me home. And uh, a little late. A couple days. But uh, I'm a little wiser, too. So. Me, too. And then there's a hug. Mm-hmm. And you're kind of feeling good. Yeah, and he references Marie. Yeah. Uh, say hello to Marie for me. feel like I know her. Yeah. And then Steve gets on the train. Great uh, Dream Academy song. Yeah, who did Life in a Northern Town? They do this song, "Power to Believe," which is fantastic. And you see a lot of emotion mm-hmm. on Dell, mm-hmm. and Steve's thinking. And what's he thinking about? He's thinking about his family, yeah, kids, and Thanksgiving food, and then he thinks about Dell, yeah, and he starts to laugh, you know, because he's gotten to that point about the ridiculousness of the journey, and then his mind goes to that moment that we talked about in the fight. I like, I like me. My wife likes me. And then you got you got a woman you love to grow old with. Yeah. And then the he starts least. to figure it out. And then we hear this line of, I haven't been home in years. I haven't been home in years. I haven't been home in years. Just when we should have talked about that was in the diner. Yeah. Yeah. I haven't been home in years. So that's probably the first kind of That's a that's hint. an odd line. Yeah. What does that mean? I haven't been home in years. Mm-hmm. And then we're back at the station and Neil finds Dell sitting there alone. Dell, what are you doing here? And, and what's funny is this is the great thing about film. Of course, I knew because I've seen the movie before. Mm-hmm. I know where we're getting to. It still gets me. Mm-hmm. Oh, just, absolutely. It's, it's like a ton of bricks. Well, it's because the, the song is great playing over his memories of things. And we've had enough groundwork laid with scenes with Neat, with uh, Dell where we know this is a sad soul. And yeah. so when he comes back and sees him. And Dell, body posture is fantastic. John Candy's acting here. He looks like a five-year-old who's sitting yeah. waiting to talk to the principal. Yeah, It's just so sad. And when he says, you know, I, uh, I don't have a home. Marie's been dead for eight years. Oh, fuck. Every time, Steve, every time I get emotional. Me too. Every Me too. single time. Yeah. And it's funny, and this is something I wanted to say earlier, it's like, if you don't have a home, of course you got to wash your socks in the in the sink. Right. You know what I mean. Right. And if you don't have a, a, a you're living alone, motel to motel, different motel yeah. every night. Of course, yeah, sure you throw your underwear on the floor. Yeah, you do. You do whatever you you're a bachelor. do. You're yeah. you're not only you're a bachelor, but you're in a non permanent space. Oh, good point. You know what I mean. So it's yeah. like you don't even have to. A maid's going to come in and clean up that place, right. and you're going to be gone at the next place. Right. So you're not. It's not your house. Yeah. And so his a lot of his behavior comes from the fact that this this. 
Neil is actually visiting Dell's life, yep. which is planes and trains and automobiles and strange motels. Mm-hmm. That's all he had. All these people, Gus in the motel and the, right. you know, all the, those are his only friends. That's probably the original title of the film. And strange motels. <laughs> and strange motels. <laughs> yeah. And again, a great reoc- reaction mm-hmm. from Steve Martin, mm-hmm. just really taking it all in. And then there's that fantastic shot of the two of them walking down the middle of the street. I don't know why you do that. Because <laughs> <holding the big laughs> it's a movie. That's why you do Because it's a movie. It. Yeah. And you walk up to the house and he gets this big welcome and he introduces Dell to his family. Yeah, man. And this great moment when, when his wife says hello to him. That's great acting, man. She doesn't have a lot of scenes in the film, nope. but delivers that line with gratitude in her voice. Yeah. Yeah. And and there's a wonderful moment, too, as Dell's sort of taking all that in, and and Neil has the first real embrace with his wife, mm-hmm. and we cut to Dell. We cut to John Candy, and his reaction shot is so filled with happiness for his friend. Yeah, sure. And loss yeah. at his, oh, that's what it is to have a wife. Right. That's great. Yep. And it's it's interesting too because I think about it. And I'm like, what is the meaning of Thanksgiving? Right. And the meaning of this is the meaning is to be with family, to give thanks, to give thanks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it, it's funny because it's not a moving movie throughout, Mm-mm. but it has a wallop at the end, and they're both redeemed at the end, which is yeah. great. And they're both still flawed. Yes, they've learned lessons, they've improved, mm-hmm. but they are Dell's still Dell, and, and they're friends, still, and they're friends. By the end, they're friends. I don't know how long this friendship is going to go. I think it'll be there yeah. for a while. And uh, this movie got the reviews that uh, John Hughes had wanted. It, and it did very well in the box office. Yep. And it's become one of those, I, I don't know, call it a minor classic? Like a, a, a beloved, you know. Certainly beloved. A beloved movie that people really go back mm-hmm. to. Certainly, obviously, you have. Yeah. Um, and so one thing that I kind of have to bring up, which is, John Hughes retires from film in 1994, mm-hmm. seven years after this. Apparently, he was really shocked by Jan- John Candy's death. Yeah. And then Hollywood just got too much for him, you know, mm-hmm. is that he, he, for those first several films, he really had total artistic control because he was making small movies and nobody really messed with him. Yeah. And then at the late 80s and early 90s, apparently some specific films where he just, you know, Hollywood became very corporate mm-hmm. and he's in boardrooms with people talking about each individual line and does someone have to say that? And it just, he... You know, he was passionate about what he's doing, and he wasn't happy. It became a big money business. Yeah, and he went, I, I'm, this doesn't make me happy. And apparently, so he went back to Chicago, and he got a big piece of land, and he's like kind of just outside of Chicago and even farming and, mm-hmm. you know, stuff like that. And apparently, he kept writing. Oh, yeah. And wrote, there are all sorts of John Hughes scripts that we're never going to see. Yeah. And then he, he, like John Candy, died of a heart attack in 94. In 2009, at the age of 59... John Hughes died of a heart attack. Yeah. And that's just tragic to me. That's all I'm going to go. Yeah? Before, yeah. I don't want to be around too long, Steve. 70 is the limit. I'm oh, good. I, I, I want to go forever. Really? Yeah. Oh, all right. Knock oh. yourself out. <laughs> well, I probably will. <laughs> and of course, well, the uh, Crescent kicked to the ball. A <laughs> hundred years from now, you're still around going, ah, oh, oh, Steve Morris. Son of a bitch. Yeah, if I'm still around a hundred years. Oh. Um, the other thing that I was thinking at the end is it's like... I, John Candy makes me sad. Yeah, obviously. Yeah. Um, John Hughes makes me really sad because he's just so great and so special. Yeah. You know, what else makes me sad. Steve Martin. Oh yeah, because he stopped. 
Yeah. You know, yeah. I totally respect. He wants to play the banjo and he's oh, yeah. doing a musical and he's a great writer and I've read a bunch of his books and he, he has the right to do exactly sure, what sure. he wants. But I love Steve Martin. Yeah. That, that, there's a whole bunch of movies there and his comedic sensibility. Yeah, I miss it. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, these three guys are not doing this anymore. Yeah. You know? It's a shame. Yeah. So, what are your final thoughts? My final thoughts So this is one of my favorite films ever. I'll never put it in the top 10 or like Citizen Kane or anything like that, but it is a film that I, you know, there's always a, a section of films in your life when you love films that you go back to and revisit a million times that bring the entire journey rewatching it. You relive it all over again and it becomes nostalgia for you. And this film is definitely that. I have so many amazing feelings about this film whenever I see it. I love these two guys so much. I know these two guys. I've met these two guys. I've spent time with these two guys in my real life um, and, and I don't mean Steve Candy and John I mean Steve Martin and John Candy I mean these characters and so I know them and I know this journey I know the frustrations they feel and the kind of childish way of trying to get out of things that they do so to me it's a fantastic film that I always enjoy revisiting and makes me feel just warm inside and it always reminds me of family and it reminds me of Thanksgiving and I love the winter time and this film is set during that time as well and so to me all the whole thing is wrapped around this incredible feeling of nostalgia and love. That's great. You know you know what I think I'm going to stick with what I already said. Yeah. I miss these three guys. Yeah. I really do. That's a great way. This to- is this is a great this is a great combination of people making up just a really complicated funny, difficult, and in the end, really heartwarming film. And an enjoyable world to visit that John Hughes that, creates. The John, that John That you Hughes pointed world. out with all these great actors he's casting smaller roles. Right. They give the world life. Yeah, and I think at some point we need to go through uh, on your theory and figure out <laughs> exactly who was going where at what time you know, and how this all was working. Right. Um, all right. So that's what we think about planes, trains, and automobiles. As always, we want to hear what you think. Please visit us on our Facebook play. Please visit, <laughs> please visit us on your Facebook page at cinephiles, C I N E dash F I L E S dot com. If you want to purchase any of the movies that we talk about, you can visit us on our website at cinephiles.net, C I N E dash F I L E S dot net. You can also listen to every single one of our reviews there. You can subscribe, Subscribe to us on iTunes, on Stitcher, on YouTube. You can leave comments on YouTube. You can leave reviews on iTunes. We've gotten some great reviews lately. We really, really appreciate mm-hmm. them. Um, if you want to choose a movie that we review, you can do so by becoming a patron on Patreon, patreon.com slash cinephiles. And as always, you can reach me at SR Morris on Twitter. John, where can they reach you? You guys can always reach me at the Roca Says on Twitter and on Instagram. And then every Tuesday, the top 10 show on the SK Plus podcast channel. And every Thursday morning, or Thursday-ish type uh, thing, you'll get the Outlaw Nation, which has been a bit more fluid than uh, I expected lately because I'm incredibly busy. So, Well, the Outlaw Nation is a complicated nation with a lot, <laughs> lot of internal conflicts. Well, there's, whoa, there's whoa, political... whoa, whoa, I wouldn't say that. <laughs> we just kind of marched to our own beat, that's what I would say, our own drum, rather. Look, it's a great country. Wasn't there someone trying to actually form Outlaw Nation, like actually an actual change to create a government? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Ro- a Roganopolis was the capital. Roganopolis. Is the capital, yeah. <laughs> Uh, it's a great country people you got to join come visit um i hope you all have a wonderful thanksgiving yes i hope you make it home to see your family or whatever it is you want to do have the food you want watch the sports you want live it the way you want to live it happy thanksgiving everyone happy thanksgiving everyone and maybe revisit this film and show it to your family for the first time you never know it's a good plan (laughs) 
say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill.